to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that was recently rated on iTunes as an epic failure all around. I'm the epic failure number one, Mario Lanza. I'm uh, epic failure number two, Paul um, Oslison, and I swear I did not bring a granola bar to the filming of this podcast. You can check my bags. I'm epic failure number three, Jay Fisher. Wait, are we actually doing this? Are we actually podcasting? We are actually, I I think Paul hit record, right? We're good now? Yeah, we're good. Hallelujah! (laughs) That's called a joke setup. You're welcome, Jay. (laughs) All right, and welcome to our uh, epic podcast on Survivor Amazon. Uh, I cannot tell you how excited I am to do this one. This is absolutely one of my specialty seasons. I can't tell you how excited most of our listeners are. I have been just deluded with uh, deluged with emails left and right. People so excited about hearing about Amazon. So this is it. We are finally here to talk about arguably one of the top three or four most popular seasons in Survivor history. You got bombarded with emails. Great. So you got two or three, right? I did get. I got two. I had one last time, and now I have a total of three in my inbox. Let me tell you. Wow. Was one okay. from your mom? <laughs> No, I deleted the one from my mom. I thought it was spam. So I just went on from there. Well, I I have to say, going into this is the most, like, kind of actually nervous I've been. Normally I don't care at all, you know, because, like, I could just talk about Survivor Forever and stuff. But I think Jay made made the comment somewhere about that this is the first time we're actually going to podcast about a season that people like. So I feel like all these, like, weird, like, kind of, like these expectations that this is going to actually have to be good and we're going to actually have to do a season justice because uh, normally we're like yeah most of you think this is shit but it's actually really good but now it's <laughs> I mean, it's a whole new dynamic that we're going to have to approach this season with yeah and it's funny because most people think amazon is good and it's actually complete shit so it's i mean i'm just kidding i don't want to get the emails but yes we love amazon i amazon's one of those seasons i don't think i've ever heard a single person say anything bad about and really with good reason this is kind of a renaissance and survivor history after thailand which all three of us obviously love we're big thailand fans but it never was received all that well by the audience no. people kind of thought you know survivor had run its course it was it was getting old hat you, everything that was going to happen on the show had already happened and then amazon came around and really breathed a lot of fresh air into the franchise it really i kind of call it a renaissance season because again it's one of those seasons i've never heard anybody say anything bad about well it, because and again we're going to get into it uh, right away, I know, but you know, a good cast of characters can really kind of make things go. And I'd not to say that Thailand didn't have a good cast of characters, but I think that you know, led by Brian Heideck, it was a very workmanlike season of Survivor. And you know, as we said in those Thailand podcasts, and if you haven't listened to them, we actually did Thailand podcasts. We talked for like eight freaking hours on Thailand, so go back and listen to it. But you know, Brian was kind of this workaholic kind of thing, and there were people talking in the game about you know doing all these fun new. Dynamics dynamic moves in the game, but because Brian and 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 really all of uh, Chewy Gone kind of kept that all on lockdown, it was sort of on hold. And so we had some really fun, energetic characters this season, and we get to kind of explore the new areas that Survivor can go in. So it's just a really solid season all around. And what's really impressive about about Amazon, I I recently watched the first four episodes, which we're going to try to cover here in this two hours. No guarantees. You know, we might might only get the first hour in, considering it was a (laughs) 90-minute premiere here. (laughs) So no promises that we're going to get to the end of of episode four. But I went into rewatching the season, really trying to think of these types of things that we're saying. Like, why is Amazon, you know, why is it such an important season? And for all the things that that Mario just said about, you know, all the different changes that really brings the Survivor and breathes new life into the show, which we'll get into. And the second 
half is this cast of characters that really does hold up over time, which is impressive considering we only have two returning players from the season. I mean, Jenna and Rob, it's it that come back, but there are still characters from the season that you can name drop, you know, Christy, and people like know who Christy is, or, you know, Heidi. Everyone knows who Heidi is. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty to talk about that still is going to hold up here over, you know, 10 years ago when, when the season aired. That's an excellent point. And, and not only that, but the two characters that did come back for a returning season, Jenna and Rob Sesternino. They made it really far, too. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do so well in their season, so they're <laughs> almost out right at the beginning of All-Stars. And, I mean, even Shean, the only Thailand returner, I mean, Shean outlasted both of them combined in the next season. So you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the Amazon cast, for all intents and purposes, did not really come back uh, and have a prominent second season. It was all really contained within Amazon. I mean, the legend of Rob Sesternino is certainly not All-Stars. It's Amazon. And this season, as you said, you can name drop Christy. You can name drop Heidi. I mean, Heidi is so infamous and in, <laughs> in all that sort of thing. And I know we've all got our fun little characters here and there. And I mean, even Shauna and Butch and Matthew. I mean, it, it, there's, the list goes on. And of course, Dina. I mean, I, OK, I'm going to stop because we're going to get into it. Heidi has boobs. <laughs> Okay, no, I, I'm just going to say, in the bits, what's funny is the way we prepare for these podcasts, that Jay and Paul and I all watch these episodes independently, and we all kind of come up with our own notes. We don't say a word until we start recording. I have no idea what we're going to talk about today on their end. Butch. And what's funny, well, what's funny is you guys have already mentioned the exact same thing I came up with them in my notes, and this is not something we, we planned ahead of time, and that I just wrote down last night. There is not a bad character in this season. There's not an unimportant character in this season. Every single person matters to this season, and it's crazy. Like, you kind of forget Alex. Like, Alex, oh, yeah, just a minor character. But you watch Amazon, and he was not minor at all. Oh, no, no. He was a big character, and he had some—I mean, he came really close to winning, in my opinion. Well, I'm so, going mean, some... to argue that there's 15 major characters because I have a new punching bag we're going to meet this season. But uh, we'll, we'll let that speak for itself when it happens. Hasn't Dan suffered enough? <laughs> oh, I know who Paul's talking about. This is me, gonna be me, an too. me too. It's going to be an interesting debate because it's a character that I happen to like. So, <laughs> so hang on to your seats, folks. This is going to be a fun one. It's a character. Um, it's a character I find indifferent. So, so I'll just be shutting up while you guys go at it. It's going to be great. Yeah. What the one thing I wanted to from from a historical point of view here is that the buzz for Amazon was as big as just about any season in Survivor history, and just. Just as someone who was kind of, I was kind of an insider at the time. I was writing for websites. I was going to events and stuff. I knew Mertz, who absolutely was the biggest insider of any fan at the time. The buzz around Amazon was just crazy at the time. I mean, mm -hmm. at the fan events, all the, this is all the people were talking about behind the scenes. And again, I'm a person who doesn't want spoilers. I don't want to know a word about spoilers. So I would tell people, don't tell me what's going to happen. And even then, I knew there was something special about the season. And I will point this out. This is something that a lot of people will be shocked about is that most people did not know it was going to be male versus female until about a week before the season. This was not a well-publicized twist. It popped up right before the season. And it's just kind of funny that there was a buzz even above that. People just knew there was something going on in the season. There was some cool dynamics. There was, this, like I said, right on the, the end of the Thailand podcast, I gave a little teaser that I was hearing these alumni talk about, yeah, there's some guy in the season who's like the next Richard Hatch, but he's young. And they were just raving about him. The camera crew, the production, they were raving about this guy and how amazing he was. And there was this buzz. And again, this was even before we knew it was male versus female. That's another big twist on top of the fact that this kid, Rob, we were going to find out was the big star. But um, I'm trying to think, was this the first male versus female reality show or was The Apprentice before Amazon? I'm kind of forgetting the timeline here. 
Apprentice you, came you out in 2004, Paul? right? Okay, um, so Amazon was before that. Yeah. Yeah, so Amazon, I'll, I'll look this up for sure because I don't want to say something that's blatantly wrong, but I think it was the first male versus female reality show, which people kind of take for granted now, but this was a big deal at the time. That had never happened on one of these shows, so it was just fascinating. And before we get inundated with, uh, well, I guess before Mario and Paul get inundated with <laughs> corrections and stuff like that, uh, you know, with someone going, well, actually, this one show did a major male versus female thing. Again, this is a time where Survivor is the biggest show. Uh, nay, the biggest reality show on the planet. I mean, American Idol, of course, is going to creep up and all that other kind of good stuff. But the, nonetheless, I mean, as far as like a reality game show goes, there's Survivor and there's nothing else at this point. Now it's a different story, of course. I mean, you know, the genre has been has been filled out mainly due to the success of Survivor. But I mean, if another show did male versus female, it certainly did not have the impact that Survivor Amazon did. Mario's right, and it, it's kind of like the momentum. I mean, we are going to get into this murderer's row. I mean, Thailand was kind of a malaised, not very well-received season, but Amazon had a bunch of buzz generating on it before the season started. And we're going to get to Pearl Islands in a, in, in a little bit, in a couple of years here. And when we get there, we're going to talk about how that show, when it started, it just took off, you know, it, it wasn't a huge buzz, but it took off within the show. But Amazon had a lot of stuff around it as it was going in. So you were super excited. And you, I mean, I remember, you know, I mean, I watch premieres of Survivor all the time, but I remember being super excited for Amazon because it was just like, this is going to be amazing. Yeah, I just looked it up. Paul was correct. The Apprentice aired in January 2004, and Amazon was almost a year before that. So this was really the first major reality show that did male versus female. And there we go. Yeah. In fact, I have to uh, share a little story about this. This is kind of a funny one that I know Jay loves when I talk about my stories. But I wrote a story called All-Star Survivor Alaska, which was it was right before Amazon. And I made my story male versus female. It was my first story where it was males versus females. And it was kind of a big hit. And then Amazon came out, and it was male versus female, too. And I can't tell you back in the day how many people used to think I worked for CBS or I had some insider ties, because I'd usually do a twist of my story that would immediately show up on the show. And this male versus female one, I remember specifically so many people would write to me like, you motherfucker, Mario, you are an insider. How do you know what they're going to do on the show? And I'm like, I just guessed male versus female. I thought it would be cool to do. And it's really funny that, that just the timing just kind of happened to work out that way. So the first two people that would guess that it was going to be a male versus female season was you and Heidi. Heidi. <laughs> Heidi knew. The minute, the minute there was five girls on that tribe, she knew. She knew. She was the only one that knew. But also going into the season, we, this is the first time that we ever really play with the length of an episode. We're going to have a 90-minute first episode of Survivor of the Amazon. So, I mean, if you need any more proof of how big the buzz was for the season, they're they're trusting an extra half hour for Survivor to, to pull off successfully. Ah, uh, yes. And ep- we're going to talk about episode one a lot because, I, you know, it sets the tone. But again, I think that if you are an editor of, of reality TV and an editor of Survivor, the footage you were given to create episode one, I mean, you must have literally just had an orgasm right then and there. I mean, it, it's this this to be able to craft this particular story would just be a dream. And uh, you can tell they had fun with it. OK, I got three things I wanted to talk about before we get to episode one, because like I said, the God, buzz Mario. These are important. These are non-Mario story related. These are actually important things. Okay. By non-Mario, we mean only slightly Mario stories. Exactly. Okay, go. All right. The first one is that a lot of people also forget this. You know, there's this big buzz behind the season. A lot of the insiders kind of know, oh, there's this player that's supposed to be amazing. And then you got to throw on top of that our first ever deaf player, which was a really kind of a significant deal at the time. I mean, I remember on Survivor Sucks. There was these threads like, could a deaf person handle Survivor? And people would just kind of talk about this because you'd never seen something like this before. And it's 
funny because, I mean, it's a game based on communication and getting along with tribe mates and communicating with them effectively. And so this was kind of a, a little experiment here. Like, is this just stunt casting? Are they just throwing a deaf girl out there to see how she does? They think she can actually handle it. So this was a third level of buzz kind of on top of the other stuff already. I think the jury's still out on can a deaf person handle Survivor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we'll get to that. <laughs> I don't know if Christy is the greatest sample size for or sample type, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Christy. It's true, but I mean, whether she wanted to be or not, she's still the Jackie Robinson of deaths on Survivor. I mean, that's, that's how, it, how it worked. No, we'll, we'll get into Christy quite a bit. Uh, gosh. Gosh. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. I know there's a huge debate. We'll get to that. We'll have an entire podcast on Christy, I'm guessing. And then on top of this, I got to say that Survivor did something for season six that they'd never done before, is that they released this promo DVD that had all the pregame interviews of all the players. It had little snippets of their audition tapes and stuff. And what was funny is, I don't know how this worked out, but it was only released through Saturn, the Saturn car company. So you had to go into a Saturn dealership and you had to pick up this Amazon promo DVD. And I don't think any other season has ever done that. And it was the weirdest thing because you, like, you were supposed to test drive a car and they'd give you a free DVD. And I was trying to figure out what's the tie-in. And I just walked into a dealership. I got my DVD and I brought it home. And it's really kind of a unique little uh, artifact in Survivor history, the Saturn promo DVD. Because I think Amazon is the only thing season that had that. Yeah, well, guess which state doesn't have a Saturn dealer or didn't have a, a, a Saturn dealer in 2003? Uh, Montana, which I guess I guess I don't know. Maybe some other cities had it, but but my city, Billings, biggest city in the state, did not have a Saturn dealership, so I could not get the DVD. Uh, my parents, uh, right before Survivor Amazon aired, were uh, traveling and visiting some friends in Wisconsin, and they went to the Saturn dealership to try to get one for me, but they were <laughs> all out, so I never saw the DVD. You still have never seen it? Nope. Oh wow! Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. It's yeah, like I said, it's one of those artifacts in Survivor history. In fact, if I still have mine, I think I do somewhere. I may give it away in a contest because it's kind of a neat little Survivor artifact that a lot of people might not have seen. In fact, maybe our young friend Mr. Paul Oslison might enjoy my Survivor, my Amazon DVD. Yeah, Paul, you uh, you you should probably check that out. It's probably got some good exclusive interviews. Maybe give you some hints as to who's gonna win Survivor Amazon. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't have like a John Deere tie-in that you could have got one in Montana. Yeah, they should have worked on that. <laughs> the tractor dealership. But yeah, it's it's interesting if you've never seen the uh, the Amazon DVD. It's really as I always remember a couple of the interviews on there. The the, the two that stand out the most to me are Matthew Von Ertfelda. And again, I'm going to blow your mind, Paul, if you've never seen this thing. But Von Hertfeld is on that DVD, and he starts talking about how he's an evil mastermind, and he's, <laughs> he's cunning, and he's crafty, and he's going to manipulate all these people, and they're fools, and he's going to destroy the game. And I'm like, I remember when I heard this buzz that there's this killer in the season that's going to destroy everyone. I remember seeing that Amazon DVD, and I'm like, it's Matthew. It's got to be Matthew. Because you watch the, his preseason stuff, he's completely different than anything you see during the season. And it, it will blow your mind the first time you see it. Oh, man. And the other thing I remember about the uh, Saturn DVD is that Rob Sesternino is on there. And the very first thing he says is, I am not a very nice person, which I, I love that quote. And that's after I thought Matthew might be the killer on this season. Matt, Rob was kind of my backup pick once I heard that sentence. I am not a very nice person. So that's kind of the, the buzz that was behind the show. That's how those two characters were presented going into episode one. And I, I have one more. Apparently, you guys have nothing to add. I, I'm blowing your minds now. Why? Well, I- I was told that an alarm would go off when we were actually going to talk about episode one. So just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. All yeah, right. I've been, I've been yep. sleeping behind the microphone here. So uh, just keep going. Right. 
Paul and I are furiously, uh, you know, instant messaging each other right now, just going like, oh, yakety yak, blah, blah, blah. Uh, keep going, Mario. What's up? We're interested. Perfect. The third thing, and this is a big deal in Survivor history, in that, in that Amazon was the first season that was completely spoiled, right down to the final two before the season. And it absolutely murdered me at the time because it was inescapable on Survivor Sucks. It was inescapable. Any message board, this guy named Chill One, that was his name. He went down. He was somewhere in the Amazon. He was in the area where they were filming. He found a local guide who knew what happened. The guy said, oh, the final two are a girl named Jana and this guy with his hair parted on the side, like tall guy with hair parted on the side, which most people, they didn't know if that was Matthew or one, or I forget who else they thought it was. But this season was spoiled right down to the final two. And it was the first season in Survivor history that that had happened. And that absolutely drove me crazy because it was all over the place on the Internet. And poor Survivor sucks. Just uh, took off from there. It did. And that's that's the thing. You know, I've talked to some of the Amazon cast about this. I, I have a couple of friends in the cast and I've asked them, like, that chill one spoiler, it came out and it spoiled the entire season before episode one even aired. Like, what did you guys think of that? And a lot of them have even said they were kind of disappointed in that because they knew they had an amazing season. There were twists, there's turns, there's unexpected vote outs, unexpected winners. And they really said, you know, I really wish it wouldn't have happened to our season because I think our season just would have blown people's minds if they hadn't if it hadn't been spoiled as as uh, completely as it was. And I've always held a grudge about that to this day. It pisses me off that that happened. And it pissed me even more off this guy Chill wrote a book about it, and he became a big celebrity. And I'm like, dude, you fucked up the show for so many people. But he was treated like a big celebrity. And, again, that was more buzz even before the season started about Amazon. Where were you in all the... that, Jay? <laughs> Where was I? Well, I was in the Amazon talking to a local guide. <laughs> oh, this is awkward. Uh, well, oh. oh, boy. I, uh, what was the name of the Chill One book? I've seen it. The Spoiler. Uh, it the Spoiler, yeah. The Spoiler, yeah. yeah. Okay. I've never read it, but it's, I mean, it's still treated with reverence in the spoiler community to this day, which pisses me off because I always hated the spoiler world. And this Amazon was the turning point where seasons could now be spoiled from start to finish. And I it know. was okay to post them on the boards. I know you don't like spoilers, Mario, and, and neither do I, but uh, I, I think it's pretty safe to read that one now. I'm just saying. No, it's a, the principle of the thing. I cannot <laughs> read that. Let's just say hypothetically. Let's just say hypothetically, I did own the book. Would you <laughs> consider a swap for the DVD? I would consider it. I guess as a Survivor historian, I should at least know of the book and read it. So yes, I will. We will consider a swap. Well, I, but, I have to, honestly, at, I think I don't even know. I don't think I actually bought the book. I think I got it as a gift one time. Um, but I honestly did not know. I was not on you know the internet much at this time, and so you know reading it i didn't really know that much about it and it like blew my mind that this that the whole season had been spoiled because for me i i didn't know any of that was going on so the book was interesting for me to read just to know that a, a season of survivor could be spoiled and how it happened and stuff so it, it's a good kind of chunk of history chronologically to know how this you know how the whole thing went down not that i condone any of it but i i, I do own mm-hmm. the book somewhere Mario will consider a trade only if you up its value a bit. So you're going to have to sign the inside cover and, and, and probably write something like, to one of my greatest fans, <laughs> believe in yourself, Paul from the tribe. <laughs> yes, but again, it's that, that spoiler was floating around all season, and I heard about it just because it was inescapable. And I, I told myself it could not be true, that no one could possibly predict a season before it, it got to the end. Again, this had never happened. People had spoiled individual episodes before. No one had spoiled the season all the way down to the final two before. And so I knew about it, and I would convince myself it wasn't true. 
And so as Rob Sesternino kept getting further and further in the season, they kept thinking that spoiler's got to be wrong. Like, this guy's going to win. He's getting the edit. He's got the storyline. All the buzz before the season was about this guy. So that's why I was really shocked when Rob didn't win, to be honest. And then the spoiler, of course, turns out to be true. Well, I'll get to that. But, like, I was just absolutely heartbroken that that thing turned out to be true. But it was. That's I mean, it's an important moment in Survivor history that I, I am very ashamed of that it ever happened. Oh, beep, beep, wake up, Jay, wake up, I, beep, Oh, beep. no, are we going to talk about this season? No, but no, that was good. I'm glad you set that up, Marna, because it definitely is something that, that needs to be known as, as we go through this this season. These yeah. kind of big big chunks of history we can't ignore. Can't ignore yeah, I mean, them. I mean, just like we left out Jervis X at the beginning, I mean, we can, we got to cover all the bases. You know, the Chill One book is a huge part of Survivor Amazon, so it's, I'm glad that you did touch on it. Thank you. Uh, one other thing, <laughs> since we're just going. It's just like Mario the fourth, time. third thing. Keep going. This is all important. There's so much important stuff about Amazon. Before the season, I always remember this too. A bunch of journalists went out to interview all the Amazon players, uh, like the first day they were playing the game, and they came back and they wrote their thoughts. And this is something I always remember, and I, it's kind of been buried in history. But they wrote that Jenna creeped them out, and I always remember this. That the journalist said, "She's got the flattest eyes. Her eyes have no emotion. They're just dead." And they were creeped out talking to her. And that's the only thing I remember about Jenna going into episode one, that these journalists that visited the site were creeped out by her. They're like, something's weird with her. Something's wrong with her eyes. And so, that, again, that's all I knew about Jenna going in, that she has odd eyes and she creeped people out. Who knew that the that the creepy girl and the um, whatever, the, the huge villain, Matthew von Ertfelder, that was going <laughs> to completely know. change the game. Totally- yeah, totally not how the season played out. Jenna wasn't creepy at all, and Matthew was not an evil mastermind. But it kind of again, kind of like, I don't want to switch those roles. Creepy could have gone to the other one there, but yeah, yeah. At times, Matthew may have been a little creepy. I think caught that it's very subtle in the edit. Uh, Jenna's actually probably listening to this now. Uh, so the person that was making fun of your eyes was Paul Osselson. <laughs> yeah. Our seventh grade Paul Osselson was down in the Amazon doing uh, some interviews for the cast of. <laughs> Of Survivor of the Amazon. I thought usually you farmed your parents out for that kind of stuff. Like, go interview the Amazon people. Get me a DVD. Get me a DVD in Wisconsin. What's wrong with you? Yeah, that's right. My parents interviewed her, not me. <laughs> you know, I pretty much have all the pregame stuff out of the way that I want to say, other than the fact that they showed a pink dolphin in the promo. Amazon, with the amazing animals, they showed a pink dolphin. And I remember sitting there all season waiting for a pink dolphin to appear. And you know how many pink dolphins we saw during the season? None. No pink dolphins at any point during Amazon. So that's well. The pink dolphin, uh, you know, heard Roger's views on gay marriage and was like, "I'm not coming by." Maybe it was a shame because it was one of the older, fatter dolphins, and Heidi offended it. Yeah, that's right. Well, it had to put forth more effort to get food. <laughs> it's like a huge issue with uh, with pink dolphins. <laughs> okay, All right, hang on. Let me go through my notes. I bet I have nothing more preseason. Blah blah blah. Jenna had flat eyes. I had that. Uh, I put Amazon as a younger season than we were used to, which is a big difference why it was accepted well. We'll get to that. All right. I am more than happy to talk about episode one. So fire away, whoever's leading this one. Good. We're we're almost uh, getting close to the half hour mark here. Glad we can actually talk (laughs) about the show. So we we start out on this on this boat going down the Amazon River and you know it's it's all good. I mean, I'm sure there are big boats that, you know, or the Rio Negro, sorry, you know, we're 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 in the Amazon, we're going down a river. I'm sure that happens all the time, but then there's like these like tribesmen that are just, you know, canoeing by the boat and they're just like, "What the fuck?" You know when 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 Heidi saw them, she knew that they were in the Amazon. When I saw those Amazonian boatmen, <laughs> she knew instantly. 
instantly. You know, and, and even though the season's already been spoiled, you know, the, the uh, when Jeff Probst's only one remains, shot right on Shauna. Oh, uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, Shauna was a big fan favorite. One Kind of one of those forgotten players in Survivor history who was a big deal at the time. It was like going into it, like she and, uh, I remember she and Daniel Liu had like off the charts popularity ratings going into the Amazon. Wow. <laughs> the yeah, I bet Daniel kept that up real, real well. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I got, speaking of Dan Lou, we're not, we don't have, won't have a whole lot to say about him because he's very insignificant. But I can't tell you how many times I watch Amazon and it pisses me off because he looks at the camera like a hundred times every episode. Everyone else is aware is aware you know that the cameras aren't around. They're just kind of used to it. Daniel always looks right at the camera, and I don't know why that just pisses me you know, off. You know, every time I, I see it, I recently had a Daniel uh, uh, Lou sighting on my television. He he was a. Uh, an extra in uh, in the the newer installment of the Joe show, uh, the Joe Schmo show. Mm-hmm. They hired wow. a, they hired a couple guys to play these criminals that get arrested, and I uh, saw Dan Liu get arrested on uh, the Joe Schmo show. <laughs> so um, you know his his awareness of the cameras it's, it's um, it really it's really <laughs> brought him places. Well, I guess I guess let's get this out of the way, even though Dan is going to go away very, very soon. Dan was also featured there. You know, how MTV did those true life uh, uh-huh. shows. And one of them was, you know, true life. I'm a reality star uh-huh. or, you know, I'm on a reality TV show. I don't know which one it is. But Dan is featured on that show because Dan was doing the hustle afterwards. You know, after yes. his appearance on Survivor Amazon, Dan tried to make a Hollywood career out of it. So cameras followed him around because he's going through multiple uh auditions and just trying to show up in spots and you know promote himself as you know dan Liu, survivor amazon and all that all that sort of thing so the fact that mario is pissed off that he's constantly looking at the camera it's like you know this guy is is trying to make it i mean this is literally someone trying to make it and so he's like was there a camera i'm gonna smile in front of it <laughs> do you think he ever took the lovely shauna i don't know <laughs> we'll have to cons- I, we'll have to consult yeah. the eight ball on that one of my favorite quotes in Survivor history was that Dave that says that at some point. He's like, will the righteous Dan take the lovely Shauna? <laughs> like, he just talking about raping Shauna? What the hell are they talking about? But I was going to mention Dan just as, we, you know, as, as Jeff is setting it up and we're getting into the opening credits. Opening credits really good, by the way, but it always cracks me up that Dan's shot on the opening credit is him failing on the balance beam. <laughs> they didn't sh- throw in a shot of blinking. <laughs> Uh, well, if okay. you watch like half half of the male tribe, they show failing on the balance beam. Yeah, it's or at very, least walking on the balance yeah. beam. I'm trying to think, but yeah, it's like they really got lazy in the opening credits because like half of the male tribe, they're just showing doing the first challenge. Uh, all right, so we're on the boat. Jeff stops it, and then he's like, "If I call your name, get in the boat," and he starts to call all the girls' names. I have nothing to add, Jay. You have nothing to add. We have. We you have just nothing. continue that. Yeah, the dot 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 just goes get right back one to girl, it. two girl, three girl, four girl, Christy, Bing, Heidi, bells ring in her head. She's got it. The pattern. It's all girls. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because we're just tearing her apart on this because you know, and it, it's actually a pretty astute observation if you were out there. Uh, you know, as one of the 16 uh, people out there and Jeff called out the first four being girls, you might think, oh, well, he's calling out four girls and they'll call out four boys. And he calls out the fifth girl. You're like, well, there's no way there's going to be uneven. So she's just saying something pretty matter of fact. She's saying, when I saw the fifth girl, I knew it was going to be an all girls tribe. But Heidi being Heidi, 
and you know, kind of is assuring all of her dominance to the rest of the world. It's just a super funny clip because I mean, she's so sure of herself. She's like, when I heard the fifth girl, it's like, so did we, Heidi. So did we. So did freaking everybody out there. I got to say, it's very progressive thinking because if you put two and two together, Heidi is clearly labeling the deaf person as an actual human being and a female. So that's very progressive on Heidi's part. <laughs> That is a step up. That is a step <laughs> yes. up. Because later in the season, I'm not entirely sure she thought Jenna, uh, Christy was a person. Uh, but the thing is, is that you, you, you knew from the opening shot that the men were not going to win the first immunity challenge. And you knew it because, you know, they got, they got into their separate boats. Uh, Jeff gives them their buffs, you know, a yellow Jabaru buffs and the blue Tamaki buffs. And the guys are in the boat and the guys are already like, oh, my God, we're dudes. We're totally going to win everything. Yeah. And it's like they don't have to include that. They could, you know, leave all of that out. But no, oh, yeah. they, they included it in. And I mean, this is all editing 101. You know, when you have males versus females, females are usually in challenges of some sorts going to be portrayed as underdogs for the most part, uh, especially in Survivor. And so the fact that you're going to have the underdogs prevail, and especially on a women versus men, you know, Billie Jean King, Bobby Riggs kind of deal, it is going to be a huge deal. And so you are going to just show all of the men saying everything bad about the women all the time, which happens. It's great. And you know what's funny? That's how men would talk anyway, even if they did win the first challenge. This is something that in my Alaska story, I had the men versus women, and I, I showed men trash talking to women in every scene. And I got so many emails from females in particular saying, oh, men wouldn't do that. I'm like, bullshit, they wouldn't. That's how men do. So it's funny that you see it in Amazon, too. I mean, that's exactly the way men would talk in a male versus female season, particularly one that they don't know is going to be male versus female until right then. And there's TV cameras on them. Like, they better win. They know they better win. And so... Yeah, again, it's it's TV editing 101. If you have males versus females, you want the males to be cocky. You want the females to win. That's going to be an amazing, epic TV episode. And that's just really what happened. It fell right into the editor's laps. That's exactly what they wanted to happen on TV. Well, and, and, they, and the guys just make it too easy. When when Dan Liu in an interview says, you know, the girls aren't going to beat us at anything mental, mentally, physically. I mean, they're, they're going to lose no matter what. Yeah, we're, we're never going to lose we're a challenge. We're never going to lose a challenge, exactly. Yeah, R- Ryan Aiken, my personal favorite, chimes in with, you don't want them on your tribe. You want people who are going to be useful. Yeah, thank you <laughs> for wearing right. bikinis, but... <laughs> Ryan's, Ryan's one of those guys you kind of forget about, but he was kind of the douchiest of all the male characters, and it was perfect that he went in the first episode because the storyline just works. Yeah, Ryan has a good one. You know, Roger, of course, They as 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 they get on their boats and leave and Shauna has trouble untying the boat, which, you know, is supposed to be some sort of weird symbolism that doesn't come into play. They get out there and, you know, they're getting to their camp. The men get there and Roger's like, Hey, we're all men here. I mean, the women, they can't, they can't do it. They're pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh God. Ro- oh, Roger. Oh boy. Oh, and then Dave comes in with you guys. We're men of action here. We're the favorites right now. I mean, it's funny because a couple episodes later, Dave would scold the tribe for talking like that. But it's funny in episode one, he's the one that's the most cocky. We're the favorites right now. We're all freaking men of pride here and whatnot. <laughs> I'm a huge Dave fan, so get ready for me to do a lot of Dave impressions. Bang a rang. Oh, I love his voice. He's got that. He was only like 22 years old, and he had like that disc jockey voice. It's really deep, and everything that comes out of his mouth is real quirky. Bang a rang. Oh boy, you know, and I mean, we've got we've got fun things, but we also have slipped in there again. You know, we get over to the women, and the women are there, and they're talking about, oh, did you hear those men talking trash, blah blah. blah. And we get an interview from Jenna, who basically says, "I just want to beat them to shut them up," and yep, it that's... sets it sets up the episode and it sets up the season. 
That is called a winner quote, my friends. That's a real obvious one if you look at it in retrospect. And not a lot of people caught it, even people that would, again, let, kind of read the spoilers. I thought, no, there's no way this girl's going to win. She's the creepy, she's the youngest girl on an all-female tribe. She's the model. She's skinny. She's been described as having creepy eyes. She creeps people out. So I didn't see that as a winner quote at the time. But in retrospect, I mean, that's obviously what it is. Right. And, but we have to feel bad. On, on the one hand, we're getting a winner's quote from Jenna, but we're also getting a loser's quote from Ryan Aiken, who just is kind of sad that, you know, he's on a tribe with all males. I mean, it's a total sausage fest. And I mean, it totally screwed up his entire strategy. So, so shame on you, Survivor, for depriving us, Ryan Aiken. Exactly. He could have been I mean, the Boston Rob of Survivor history. The Boston Rob routinely considered the best player of all time. Now, that could have been Ryan Aiken if he'd been on a mixed gender tribe. We have no idea. <laughs> By the way, I got to say, there's something in there where, where Ryan says, uh, you know, if we lose, we can't go home. And it, what's funny is that that there's some truth to that. And this is something that I've always kind of felt bad about the Amazon cast and particularly the males. Like you lose that season, you go home, like you just get ragged on that you lost to a bunch of girls. And that's so he's kind of right about that. And I kind of hate to admit that because it's sexist. But that is the thing that he's absolutely right. I mean, Jay, if you showed up on Survivor, it's never been male versus female before. Two minutes before the game starts, you find out, oh, yeah, it's male versus female now. And then you get stomped by the girls. Like, even the most progressive male alive is going to be a little humiliated by that. No, that's, that's, that's really natural. And, I mean, that's, that's a lot of times there's, there's a lot of, even in, like, high school sports, I know for, for a fact, that, like, wrestling, right, uh, high school wrestling, sometimes females are, you know, on because there is no girls wrestling and, and boys wrestling. There's just usually just wrestling, and it's usually just done by boys. But, you know, there are some girls that would like to wrestle, and they go out there and wrestle. And, you know, I talk to a lot of the boys that have gone into the situation where they have to res- wrestle you know, a, a female and, and they all say it's a lose, lose situation because, you know, just the way society is set up in those senses, because it's like, if you win, everyone just says, Oh, you just beat a girl, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and there's no, there's no real, you know, manly honor in that in some way. And then if you lose, then you lost to a girl and then you're humiliated forever. And I'm not trying to sit here and say, keep girls out of wrestling or some dumb thing like that, but it is sort of a lose, lose situation. in a lot of that senses, I mean, in survivor, of course, there is a win lose because you want to win. You want to avoid tribal council. You want to, you know, keep yourself in the game, but, but in a way in, in the, in the societal norms, a lot of times with the, with, with the male versus female things, you know, you know, because males are usually, uh, pronounced or, or presumed, I guess, by society to be favorites in those situations. It's, it's kind of awkward in weird ways. So yeah, you're right. You know, I think Ryan hit it on the button there. Yeah. And in fact, I'll even back that up. When I was a kid, I played sports, soccer, baseball, basketball, everything. And I remember once I'm about 10 years old and our soccer team's going to play a girls soccer team. And I thought it was so cool. Oh, dad, we're playing the girls. And my dad, I mean, this is not uncommon advice. My dad sat me down and he flat out told me something that stuck with me my whole life. He said, you don't want to play sports against girls because if you lose and if you win, you just beat a bunch of girls. If you lose, you will never hear the end of it. So he goes, you don't want to play the girls in soccer. And that's that again, that's not uncommon. wisdom that a dad would pass to that son, especially 20 years ago, 25. I don't know if it's more progressive with girls in sports, but this is not an uncommon belief for males that play sports. Like it's really not a win. You can't win. So, Paul, do you notice the same thing when you played sports? Well, that's where you lost him <laughs> when you played sports. So, yeah. <laughs> He went back to sleep. Sorry, <laughs> Paul. But wake up because we're getting our supplies. We're getting manioc and everybody gets a machete. You get a machete and you get a machete and you get a machete. And then we get the great line from Butcher. Be careful because machetes, <laughs> they will kill you. 
It's so over the top. Be, I love Butch. Be careful yeah. with the machetes. I have a, a, fun, a funny story about that. You know, Rob's quote, he's like, my mom never would let me have a machete. He's like hacking around. What's funny is it, at, at Halloween every year, I dress up like Jason Voorhees. I've been Jason for 15 years. I mean, it's just a tradition. And I always wanted a real machete to hold just because it looks cool. And my wife would say the same thing. She's like, no, you're going to hurt yourself. You don't want to get a machete. How about you get a fake machete? And so I understood Rob's frustration with people not wanting to have a machete. And what's funny is I actually bought my own machete. I found an army surplus store a couple months ago and I actually bought one. And what Butch said about they can kill you is, for the most part, BS. They're not sharp at all. That machete aren't really cutting instruments. They're kind of bludgeoning instruments. I mean, they have a blade, but you're really hacking with weight to kind of get down heavy branches and stuff like that. You can't saw through things really sharply. They're not particularly sharp. So I will refute Butch's assertion that machete can easily kill you. And I'm going to refute fact, you, and I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to back up Butch. No, that machete can kill you because bludgeoning can hurt. I mean, this microphone that I'm speaking into, it can kill you. I mean, it's going to take a while. Let's do an experiment here. Let's see if, if Paul, have someone hit you with the microphone. <laughs> I'm glad I can be of uh, some use to this podcast. <laughs> But no, I was just going to say the one point in the in the season where Alex is pulling the machete out and he hits himself in the eye. The reason he gets cut is because he hits himself on the tip, which is kind of the sharp part. Like you really it's 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 hard to injure yourself with a machete. I will just say that from firsthand experience And I've tried to bludgeon through trees with mine and it's hard that they're not that sharp. So just a little machete FYI for you people at home that do not own one. All right, Paul, let's move on the episode with the uh, with the image of Alex being hit with a tip in the eye. You're uh, you're jumping ahead here a little bit, aren't you? Yeah, we haven't watched that one yet. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> Fuck you, chill one. Yeah, we're on episode five now. Um... <laughs> so we lost Joanna, bastard. Oh darn. Um... <laughs> no, but right, we, we have one. a we have a bigger issue going on though at the women's camp here as we get from you know from boat to land here and uh, and we're gonna talk about one of the one of the biggest characters this season and one of the most controversial um, you know character editings that we've probably ever had in Survivor in, in the form of Christy Smith. Ah, uh, Christy, so much to say. I don't even know where to start on this subject. I will I will let you guys wade into the waters first on this one. Well, I, yeah, go ahead, Paul. First thing, hairy armpits. Oh, yeah, right <laughs> off the bat. I mean, that's you know, <laughs> right there. <laughs> the one thing that, that's really unfortunate with, with the whole Chrissy situation is that you never really, I mean, you, you can pick up these little hints here like, yeah, she doesn't shave her armpits and these types of things. But you, you can tell that they almost wanted to cast Christy for more of a reason than she was just deaf because she kind of is this crazy hippie. And the more you learn about her post-show, you learn about all these kind of crazy adventures she does and stuff. So she really is an interesting character who happens to be deaf. But when you're presenting this to the, to the viewing audience, that's the only thing we take away from is the fact that she is deaf. And the fact that, I mean disputably that she brings up the fact that she's deaf a lot and she really plays with that a lot. That's really all we ever get from her. So I, I want to say, first of all, it's kind of unfortunate that we don't really get to see more of, you know, who Christy is as a person beyond the fact that she's deaf. Um, but, you know, an interesting point that, that people bring up is that why was it, why is it so important for Christy in the beginning to tell the girls that she's deaf, but hide it from the boys. And that's one thing that I never really questioned until much, much recently when, when talk of the Amazon has come up here. But why it's so important for her to keep this a secret from the guys. What do you guys think? Uh, I'm guessing because she's kind of using it for sympathy among the girls. I mean, it's kind of a, it's very, I'm guessing it's very similar to when Richard Hatch came out the first night at Toggy Tribal Council and he used it as a rallying point. Like 
if I announce this at the right time, they'll kind of rally around me. They'll feel bad for me. So I suspect there's some of it in there. Uh, that's my my only guess. Well, not not executed as uh, as well as Richard Hatch, obviously, but um, you know it's it's so interesting because I remember watching that first episode, not knowing what's going to happen, well, you know what what the rest rest of the season is going to bring. I mean, you have to get on the side of Christy. That is what the editors have to do. You can't off the you know off the bat not like the deaf girl at all. And, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting now. And then as we get through here, we're going to talk about, you know, you know, beyond, beyond this episode later on and, and who really is Christy and, and what role she plays in the game. And I, you know, you have to look at it way differently now, knowing kind of who Christy is beyond the fact that she's deaf. But when you're watching it, you have to feel bad for her. Obviously this is going to be a very hard, you know, challenge for her. And then right off the bat, we get these interviews from, you know, Jenna saying, I don't know how she's going to really work with the team. And, you know, we go back and watch it now. She really isn't being that mean. She's just you know, no. stating, you know, she's just stating a fact saying like, you know, I'm concerned. How is this going to work? But at the time, you're like, oh, you bitch. Like, you know, you just hate her because she's deaf. But it's it's all about perspective with the season, because there's one way you're supposed to, you're supposed to watch it. And then when you go back and rewatch it, you kind of take out a different perspective. I think you bring up an excellent point. I think it's something we're going to hit. Uh, in all these Amazon podcasts that we're going to talk about. Uh, you know, we make fun of Mario, and I know that we've all been on other podcasts where we've made fun of Mario for his phrase, if you weren't there, you wouldn't understand. But I think Amazon and how you view Amazon, it holds up really well on a rewatch. And it holds up on a, on a rewatch for two reasons. One, it's a solid season, and these characters just do not diminish by any stretch of the imagination. But I think one of the biggest reasons it holds up really well on a rewatch is Christy. Because, you know, we now know Christy. We know Christy a ton now. I mean, she is just this wild child of a person, you know, totally out there, totally, you know, doing all these uh, amazing, you know, fun and wild adventures and, and leads this really, really interesting life. And the problem is, is that when we were watching it the first time, we didn't know any of that. So when you're watching it, you just see Christy as, as, as you know, OK, she's deaf and we're getting this deaf scene. And so you're just kind of seeing her as, you know, being ostracized. They talk about her being ostracized quite a bit. And now you look back on it and it makes a whole ton of sense. And so I think that within the editing goes just the way how Jenna places, how Christy places, and, you know, and not only that, but just, you know, I feel like the editors kind of knew who Christy was, but we didn't it didn't quite translate very well to what we were seeing at the time. So Amazon's one of those seasons where watching it now and knowing what you know completely kind of colors that edit in a way different light than than going back and rewatching it you know sometimes you can rewatch a season and put yourself back into a mindset but with amazon you can't there was the first way you saw it and then there's how you see it on a rewatch it is two completely different beasts yeah in fact i wanted to add something to that you hit the nail right on the head that the editors wanted to present her in a certain way and i'll even go one step further than that i will say the editors were trapped and this is just you hate to use the phrase political correctness, but you have the first deaf contestant on a reality show. She is going to be a hero and an underdog. I mean, there's just no way around it. That's the way you have to edit that character. That's the way TV kind of forces the editors to work. And they kind of got trapped into a nightmare situation where where Christy all of a sudden is in a, de- in a, a fight to the death with her two mortal enemies who happen to be the most significant players in the game, including our hero winner. And it's a it's a horrible situation that the editors must have been in at the time. Like, because they can't present Christie's story as any way other than the pretty smart, pretty girls pick on me and won't include me, which I don't necessarily think is how it played out. I think Christie was probably more the problem than Heidi or Jenna. And I think Heidi and Jenna were probably quite well respected and very well liked by just about everyone. And I think Christie was the one who was kind of inventing some of this stuff of them picking on her. 
And unfortunately, you can't show that on TV. So as you what Jay said, you watch Amazon now versus how it first aired. Amazon was not considered a very uh, satisfying season because the evil stepsister that picked on Christy ends up sweeping the vote because she's so popular. Like, how the hell did that story happen? But you watch it in retrospect, it makes total sense. And this is something I always say when I talk about Amazon. Don't think of Christy as the victim. Think of her as the problem. And it makes way more sense. Yeah, Christy is, is I think, the hinge on all of that. And I know she's going to come up a whole How dare the both of you? <laughs> you don't think she's gone okay. through enough no. that you're going to throw this at her, too, that she's the problem? All right. Okay, this is what I'm going to say on this. All props to Christy. And we people have made this joke before, but it is hilarious every flipping time. So, you know, all right, we're going to take Christy. She's, you know, the first deaf person to be on Survivor, and Christy handles herself so well. So what do they do? They stick her on a tribe of catty women with names like Jean, Joanna, Jenna, (laughs) (laughs) Janet. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, that really wasn't very nice. You think about how a deaf person has to read lips and the phonemes and like the little syllables. Like, all those names are basically exactly the same thing. But yes, your point is well taken, Paul. We should be very nice to the deaf community that's all listening into our podcast, who clearly will have no idea what we're talking about. So we'll be much nicer. Well, no, I love Christy and I love Christy's character because, you know, Christy, I mean, now she's not a prototype, but in in a way she is. I mean, Survivor now and all modern Survivor, everything is so archetyped. And there's always the one Looney Tune character in every season. You know, there's a character that's just kind of on their own and someone can you know really present a very sound strategy like i think you should eat this coconut and they're like i'm gonna take this coconut and throw it in the forest yeah and they do all this like weird stuff that doesn't really you know and someone will present them with a sound uh, alliance strategy or voting strategy and they'll just say well i don't want to do that because that would be normal and you know you kind of have this you know character that's in a sense just a wild card an x factor and christy is the x factor of amazon i mean she's just playing to her own tune entirely and so it's it's kind of fun and, and 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 as opposed to some of the uh, really weird caricatures that have been on Modern Survivor, I think Christy is a very full complex figure with you know with her hearing uh, impairment and everything else. I mean, Christy is just very very well done, and so yeah. it's very fun when you watch rewatch the season and just say Christy is the wild card. Treat her that way; it makes way more sense. Yeah. In fact, Paul, I'm curious. You're not honestly offended that I'm saying Christy might no, be the problem. No, 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 no. Okay. I, no, I really am exactly. not at all. And it's one of those things. If Christy, if she, if the whole, if the death issue wasn't there, like she would probably be a good villain to have. Like just this like girl who's like just causing all these trouble. And these women mm-hmm. are trying to work. And I mean, there's this whole scene. I don't want to jump ahead here in episode two where she's just like being a stubborn little kid like they're trying to you know she's like you guys aren't helping me out at all and so then they try to help her goes no i don't want to do that now i want to do this now and just is like a complete so hard to work with and obviously we don't know everything going on there and there probably were things that all the women could have done to make the situation better but i mean from obviously coming from a perspective i don't know what what that's like to be deaf but this can't be that new for christy the fact that she's gone through how many years of life with this and it's kind of like she needs to be the one to get these you know women to to find a way to work with her there these other seven women are not going to be experts on how to on how to work with her Chrissy's going to have to try to you know make that bridge there which i don't think it was ever made i think she just expected that people were gonna you know you know do all these extra things you know to to fit her in but not really knowing how to do that so it, but it's a tricky situation too because then you you know you sound like an asshole when you uh when you harp on the deaf girl yeah 
And that's the thing. It's, I've always thought it's, it's, I wouldn't go so far to say that the editors owe Jenna an apology, but it was really a shame how she was presented throughout the season as this spoiled little brat who made fun of the older, fatter women and picked on Christy. Because if you watch, she really doesn't do any of that ever. And so it's kind of a shame she was perceived that way, and we'll get more about that later. But it's, she's one of those people whose survivor legacy was not what it should have been. And I always kind of felt bad of the way that she kind of went through it. And I don't even know if, if anything could have changed. It was just kind of the dynamic of you happen to have this first you know, deaf contestant, and they have to present her a certain way because that's the way TV works. And Jenna just kind of got stuck right in the middle of that situation. So, I mean, again, luckily, it's just one of those things. I think what they kind of try to do toward the end there is luckily they kind of have someone like Heidi to try to throw a lot of that negativity onto. Um, but yeah. you think like Dina was kind of with Heidi and Jenna as far as their alliances go. And, and, and Dina says some things about Christy too, as far as, you know, if she gets voted off, it's, it's not because of her disability. It's because she's blah, 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 blah. So it's almost yeah. like Jenna and Dina are kind of have the same view on Christy, but because Jenna's this 21 year old swimsuit model, you know, you know, more like Heidi, and Heidi is a little bit more. She pushes the limit, little limit about what she says about well, about Christine, about the older, fatter <laughs> women, which we're going to get to all that. But you know, it's easy to lump Jenna in with that one. Really, I don't think Jenna's perspective on the Christie situation is really at all different from Dina's perspective on the Christie situation. But Jenna, Jenna, and Christie also have a, a a bigger split that Dina and Jenna. Uh, well, I don't don't really compare with. And again, it's going to go down to this. In Thailand, we talked about it. The show talked about the do's and don'ts of Survivor, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Notice this whole 90-minute episode one. A lot of it goes around working at camp, and there is no long, prolonged Jake monologues about working going on here. But, you know, you get this montage, and as, as this sh- thing is settling up and we're learning about Christy here and her disability, we're seeing the camp life, right? The men are actually working pretty well. They're chopping down trees. Rob Sesternino looks ridiculous in his first scene trying to <laughs> chop down a tree. And we've got all this, you know, working scene. Then we get over to the women, and the women are not working very well. They're talking about how this sucks and this is hard. And it's, again, setting up this women aren't doing well. Men are doing well and it kind of stuff. But, you know, <laughs> you know, Dina is a worker. You know, she's working, you know, at camp. And Christy is a worker. She is working at camp. Jenna, not quite so much. So, you know, again, we're, l- we're lumping this working versus not working and it's all going to go out. But this is, again, another separation between Ryan Aiken and Daniel and the rest of the men. <laughs> and that is, you know... Six of the men are working and two of them aren't. Maybe you should work. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I just want to add on to what you said real quick is that the women are succeeding, the men are not. It ping pongs back and forth the first couple episodes. Like, yes, one it's so does. Yes. It's so uh-huh. does. It's really yeah. blatant. Yeah, if you watch for it, it's like, oh, the women are amazing. Oh, the women are pathetic. Oh, the women are amazing again. So it's, it, it, it's really kind of blatant who's going to win the challenge. Yeah, it's, it, it starts off slow for the women, though. It does. They, when, when Dina gets in charge, we get some good montages. But yes, you are right. Yes. And I think we're glossing over the fact that Butch's Believe in Yourself banner has made an appearance by the We will point. never gloss over it because I was not going to leave this episode without talking right. about Butch. Please talk about the Believe in Yourself banner, Jay. So Butch is a middle school principal, and uh, I've been in school systems quite a bit. Paul is now making his foray into school systems. Uh, you know, principals are interesting characters, I have to say. Uh, you know, they, most of the part, they mean well, and they, you know, their job is largely administrative. But, you know, they, they do have to talk with children every day, and most of the time they have to talk with troublemaker children and whatnot. And, and Butch, 
he's taking his job super seriously. And, uh, you know, he likes to motivate kids, which is great. Motivating kids is awesome. And the way he motivates kids is with banners, apparently. So he's telling the guys, he says, look, I'm in charge of 500 kids. I'm trying to, you know, get them to, you know, make wise choices and all this other good stuff. And he's talking kind of slow and using pointy gestures, you know, very teacher-like. It was really awesome. And, you know, and he says, well, I have this banner hanging up at school and I brought it in there. And it's this big ass banner that says, believe in yourself, really huge on it. And what's great is that it's this total like elementary strategy. Right. And then Dave, the rocket scientist is like, oh, Dave, he, uh, he had a banner and I thought it was real positive. You know, it's a, it's a it's real a, deep message. It's a, it's a great <laughs> model. Um, the, the one thing I the, is. Talking about another guy here. One thing that I, I saw this again today, and I, every time it comes up, I have this question. So I want to get your guys' opinion opinion on it. When they show the guy's shelter, they're doing so well and stuff. Alex says, um, you know, we have this trapezoid action going on. Really post, we're calling it our postmodern survivor shelter. I'm pretty sure home home and garden is gonna come and shoot us later. How do you interpret that? Because I can't decide if it's it's like he's like being sarcastic and it's bad enough that they're going to come and like literally shoot them because it's so bad or if it's so good that they're going to go shoot them like like a photo shoot for their magazine. I can't decide. Uh, Paul, you need you need to take an opinion and stick with it. You need to believe in yourself at this point. <laughs> I can't sleep at night because of this. What is But I think he's being sarcastic that they're going to come take a picture because it's such a shitty shelter. So I think he's being sarcastic. Oh, but no, but how's the shooting being used? Is it like they're going to take pictures? It's a camera, Paul. Okay. Camera, camera. I would say camera. This isn't Montana, Paul. We don't just randomly (laughs) shoot people. But again, the kicker, and this is Survivor Editors having fun. The whole fun thing, we get this Butch banner, and the banner's great because the banner's going to come, you know, largely into comedic play later in the season. And so don't worry, kids, the banner is coming back. But you get this whole shot of believing in yourself. You get the whole speech. We learn a little bit more about Butch. We learn that Butch is just this generally, uh, you know, awesome, positive guy. But at the very end, when everyone's like, yeah, banner, yeah, believe, yeah, banner, believe yourself, you get this line from Butch as they're fading out. He goes, well, you know, if it rained, we could, you know, we could use this to dry the wood. <laughs> it's the, I did not catch that line for many years. It's not on the funny 115. I didn't mention it ever, but I just heard that maybe a couple of years ago and I just died. I'm like, he makes a firewood joke in the first episode. <laughs> yes. He's like, yeah, we can cover the firewood. We can cover the firewood with it. I'm like, <laughs> I bet we could, Butch. I bet we could. Yes. And it kills me. I don't, there's not a mention of that on the funny 115. That one slipped right by me. And that uh. is killer. That is killer. That's just well done that we're going to establish Butch and Firewood right from the right from the get-go. <laughs> and like you said, it's on a fade-out. Like they're going to commercial, and it's the last thing you hear. Hey, we can cover the Firewood. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love stuff like that on this show. Uh, so we're inching closer to the challenge. We get a lot of shots of men doing things. We've got in our around here. We get our first real good crack from Sesternino. I mean, he's 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 starting to make a little presence. We get this kid Rob, but I think the first one that really was the the impactful one. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is probably the uh, you know because because they're kind of getting again. It's this montage. Men are doing well at camp. They are working together, building a shelter, and the women are not. And you know, the men are, you know, every once in a while they're, they're switching over to the men and they're having confessionals like, I bet you those women over there are just, you know, sitting around going, I don't know what to do. And of course, in Rob and Rob C fashion says, you know, I don't think those women are doing very well. In fact, I think they're trying to build a phone. 
to call their boyfriends to get them to make them do a shelter. <laughs> yeah, within the span of about three minutes, he busts out the Magic 8 ball. He says the girls are building a cell phone to call their boyfriends. And then he calls them the Camp of the Vagina Monologues. The Camp of the Vagina Monologues <laughs> was also a good one. And again, there really hadn't been a lot of comedians on Survivor before. I mean, there have been some funny people like Greg. But Seth, you know, is the first, like, stand-up comedian going out there. And what's funny, I just I remember watching that first episode. I'm like, this guy is hilarious. And well, it's just a lot of people complain. Well, all, all of Rob's confessionals sound like a rehearsed, like he rehearsed the material. I'm like, well, fuck yeah, he's a comedian. You rehearse your material. Of course you do. Well, what stands Rob out, in my opinion, and this is this is a super compliment to Rob, is if people say, ah, he, everything he says sounds rehearsed, there's precedent for that. Colby Donaldson in Australia, you know everything he said he practiced. Well, yeah, I mean, there. if you... If you know you're going to have sound bites on TV, don't you rehearse them ahead of time so you know how they're going to sound? I mean, he, Rob had written a paper on reality TV. He knew how Survivor works. He knows it's in little five-second sound bites. You want to make sure those sound bites are memorable. So I, I mean, I've never understood that that criticism that everything he says sounds rehearsed. I'm like, yeah, because he knows how it works. But my compliment to Rob is that not only is he funny in those confessionals, but the difference between I, I think Rob and Colby is that there's a lot of times where Rob is super funny. Not so much in episode one, but in episodes two, three, and four that hopefully we'll get to is that, you know, he's funny not in a confessional. You know, when he's talking to Jeff or he's talking yes. to some of the other dudes, he's always funny. And so that's harder. It's harder to be on all the time. I mean, it's all well and good if you're sitting around or doing a confessional to try to get a one-liner out, uh, which he does very effectively. But he's funny outside of confessionals as well. So, uh, you know, but we're starting to kind of get the Rob personality coming in. And we're inching closer and closer to this first challenge, and and Janet's not doing well. But we get the Rob, we get we get Rob's magic eight ball, and you know, like men, you know, are they, you know, they're not allowed to ask challenge questions, and that's a good legit move by Rob C. But you know, really, what are we going to talk about? Is are we going to hook up? <laughs> right. So that brings up two things I want to point out. One, um, speaking of the hooking up thing, one thing that Amazon really does. There's many things that Amazon brings new to the table. Obviously, this new twist. Obviously, the the new strategic game of Rob Sisson, you know, that we're going to get uh, into, you know, probably six months from now. Um, but it also, you know, and it brings in some new, like, um, like a new type of location. We're we're on. The, we've been on a river before, but there really was there was never anything like the Amazon. There really has been anything since the Amazon, and there really is a lot that they do as far as. Um, you know, the music and the theme and, and that sort of thing with it. But also what this hooking up brings for us is the sexually charged energy that we're going to have in the Amazon. And mm-hmm. I remember noticing it even more when I was first watching it as a seventh grader because you have much more like, of a keen ear and eye for like, whoa, like that's like inappropriate. And you go back and watch it and it kind of starts here talking about who they want to hook up with. And it's something that we hadn't really seen in Survivor before, but except maybe you could argue Borneo. Sometimes they get a little bit racy in, in their conversation mm-hmm. and stuff. But there really is a... I mean, due to the fact that it's split men and women, there really is a sexual charge throughout the season of the Amazon. Absolutely. I mean, that girl, Heidi, she's so hot. She could put Viagra out of business. Right. Think about being a seventh grader and hearing vagina, um, Viagra, you know, the two Vs. 
I mean, it was a racy first episode, and it is kind of a racier season. But the other thing I was going to add to, and I was getting so excited to talk about, was that the reason this 90-minute episode is just fantastic, because, you know, we really do get more of a character set up for a lot of these people than we ever did before. There's a scene over you know, at Jabiru. They're, they're struggling, but they kind of give us some hope. Like, the women are going to pull it together. We get my two favorite contestants ever, Gina and Joanna, uh, you know, paddling around, and and Joanna singing her, her famous Hallelujah chorus and stuff, and Gene yeah. loves gospel music and they kind of get around and they realize they left the oars on the other side of the little you know whatever little stream they were in or whatever and they have to loop back around to get uh, to get the paddle so great little scenes like that that really set up this cast of characters just i don't want to talk too much about this but to follow up on what you just said it's amazing comparing amazon episode one to vanuatu episode one which is the next male versus female season note how many times in vanuatu they talked about who was going to hook up with someone in the other tribe I don't think we heard it once. It's amazing the difference. And I think Amazon is just a little younger, a little racier, and that's a big difference than the two male versus female seasons. Well, in, in what that would show you, and we'll talk about it at Vanuatu when we get there, is just small adjustments in the cast can lead to different things. I mean, I think they wanted to do an all-male-female season, but as we've noted, this is a pretty young cast. And not only is it a young cast, it's a young pretty attractive looking cast both male and females so you know obviously there's going to be some sexual tension and i'm not saying Vanuatu wasn't uh attractive in anything but you know there were some older people in there and you know there there were people that just were more uh, predisposed to you know sort of having a more uh tight rivalry with maybe the other the other tribes so you know where this whereas this one you kind of got the feeling that even though they were digging the male female thing at the beginning you can tell i mean ryan aiken makes a, a comment on it in season in episode one so does jenna they were like oh man i kind of wanted it to be mixed i had strategies for a co-ed tribe mm-hmm. and you know kind of in vanuatu it was more like all right it's men and women the game is on let's do this and it was a little more like devious in that sense that Twyla is so hot, she could put Viagra out of business. <laughs> oh, Bubba. Oh, you. <laughs> All right, let's get to the challenge. We're, we're, we're spending an hour on episode one here. So the challenge starts out, and they're in, you know, first of all, there's, you know, they just meet Jeff, and it's just like they're in the middle of some trees, which is hilarious. And Jeff's like, no, trust me, there's challenge shit in the distance. You know, and they, they all it's are so chained up. It's so claustrophobic. You know, the, you'll get the big open meadows here to do these challenges no or it's, and it's not it's not paddle around an island it's like you're in the flipping jungle like there's yeah behind the vines and all that stuff i mean there's stuff there trust me you know you're not going to go die but uh you know they're they're chained up all eight of them and then they've got to go through a tough nut which you know jeff says a million times yay jeff you know, but so so they've got to go through this brambly tough nut, and then once they get to the end, they have to get a key, and they split off, and then they have to go do a dial and solve a little puzzle. And when they do that, they can you know get the appropriate key and unlock themselves, and then they need to go across a balance beam in pairs. And uh, once they're across the balance beam, they have to you know put together a little jigsaw puzzle, and once they do that, they can go up and release a key and go down a flying fox and open another door, which seems like a really superfluous step, but you know we're not even going to get in there. So it's basically get through places, solve puzzles along the way make yourselves go from eight to four to two to one then get across the finish line and win and uh you know true to form as this thing starts out men are doing really well and uh you know it's all going to continue in a really good fashion exactly the men just just 
good. No, I'm going to jump back into the challenge here, but I don't want to overlook one thing I was thinking about. What Amazon does really well, which I noticed on this on this rewatch, is the little things they, they throw in there, like we just talked about, um, you know, the wood with Butch, but they're really good about setting up uh, little storylines, even if they're not going to go that far. You know, we have a little storyline we're going to talk about next episode uh, with Joanna and the Idol. When Jeff shows off the immunity idol, he goes through so everyone can get a little touch of it, and then he says, Joanna, did you get that? And then it kind of shows this, like, death glare of Joanna, which, I mean, if you're <laughs> watching the show you probably one don't even like really like know like you don't even like register that that just happened but once you go back on a rewatch you're like oh god yes so that, if anyone is like is shameful enough not to have rewatched amazon rewatch it and see all these little things that make so much more sense upon rewatch yeah she's like shaking her head when yeah. he's revealing it yeah <laughs> so the men dominate the challenge and assert the uh, dominance of males in society right Something my wife pointed out, I don't quite know how that second puzzle went because, you know, they go through the tough nut or whatever and then the one group of four has got to solve the puzzle where it's basically like a spinny wheel and they're matching up. It's like a, a decoder pin kind of deal and they have to kind of match up the appropriate letters to numbers and then they have to write in the appropriate letters to do the sentence or whatever. And it seemed like the men, they got on the appropriate numbers and it almost seemed like their dial didn't get stuck and then they were like, all right, so T is three, uh, E is four and they're going down this sort of thing and you look over to the women who had a really tough trouble with this leg of the puzzle. And it's like they continue. My wife's like, they're still spinning the fucking dial. Like, you know, I was like, did they have to constantly spin and they didn't show the men? Is that how the puzzle worked? Or, or did they just completely not get it? Because my wife's like, they're spinning. You're spinning. You're spinning the dial. What are you doing? Heidi knew when there was an axis in the middle, it was a wheel they were supposed to spin. <laughs> Instantly. Instantly she knew that. Instantly. Well, then, so yeah, the men. Okay. And the men get there and they get to the balance beam and it falls apart. Oh, one of the most iconic scenes in Survivor history the men blowing the challenge in the male versus female season. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a pathetic balance beam, too. It's like two feet off the ground. And what's funny is Dan and Ryan get to the end like four different times and they always screw up the, the dismount. At one point, Dan just like puts his foot down like a moment too soon, even though he's done it. So they're like, no, no, back. And he just has this look on his face, just like, he's like, what, what? I, I, I just did it right. No, Daniel. No, buddy. <laughs> no, buddy. That look, that look is right at the camera, like always. <laughs> you know, and he didn't. I mean, I, I understand that probes, you know sometimes there's, I think there's, you know, someone does something and he's just like, oh, I'll allow it. And I don't think he was going to allow it because I mean, you, as a producer, or as a, as a person behind the scenes, you desperately want the, the women to win this challenge. Cause it's a much better story than just the men trampling the women to the oh, yeah. end. So, you know, I'm saying that he was probably watching the men a little more closely, but I mean, it was legit. Daniel's putting his feet down, you know, two feet before the end of the balance beam. And Jeff's like, no, you got to go back. And he's like, what do you mean? This is lame. <laughs> Okay, this is one thing. This this breaks my heart that I have to bring this up. But no one ever mentions this when they talk about Amazon. They just talk about, you know, Daniel and, and Ryan blowing the balance beam. The men caught up, and they had another chance to win that challenge. Do you remember who blew the puzzle part later? Rob Sesternino. Rob Sesternino and Dave Johnson, the rocket scientist. Well, And, and they, to dog on Rob a little bit, he did not do great at that balance beam either. <laughs> no, he, but again— he, Go ahead. You know, he missed the balance beam, but like, yeah, it, not even the catch up, but it's just the fact that the women were so much better. Like, you know, even if the men had finished the balance beam and, and you know, let's say Ryan and Dan finished the balance beam part in maybe two tries instead of four, I think they still lose. I mean, that yeah. puzzle they were so horrible on. 
And who did they lose to? It was like Gene and who was the other woman doing it? I think it was Joanna and Gene. It's it. Joanna and Joanna Gene. and Gene just beat rocket scientist and Mr. All-Time Greatest Survivor Player. I mean, well, it's hard to beat a team that has Jesus on their side. So, <laughs> but I mean, Jesus they, is a guy. We're going to talk about this. They crushed him on that puzzle. That jigsaw yeah. puzzle wasn't close. I mean, the women finished, you know, because then they get to the next part and then Heidi has to take the key and go do the flying fox. I mean, they're done. I mean, then they, you look at the men's puzzle. I mean, they're not even a quarter of the way finished i mean they were nowhere near done look i will say nothing bad about rob sestronino ever i think he was the most important survivor player in history perhaps he's iconic i think he's amazing but i gotta point out in this one thing he never gets enough flack for blowing that puzzle he blows the puzzle but again I, and i'm not a i'm not i i mean we all love rob sestronino <laughs> i mean I'm, let's 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 not uh, uh mince words here but at the same time there was a really weird puzzle strategy and you know i think rob is trying to you know not make waves these first times because i think he's going to try to you know do his cutting and strutting a little bit later on in the season but uh you know dave is assembling part of the puzzle on the ground and he's keeping it separate from rob and it's like you have two people working on a puzzle why are you both doing it in two completely separate areas is like it just struck the whole the whole thing just struck me as like the most odd setup ever and it never went you know and i I don't know if rob thought it was odd or if he was just under the pressure or if he suggested hey dave maybe move your shit on the board you know and we work at it together or around i don't know but like it was just the weirdest way to do a puzzle ever maybe that's you know they always say the phrase it's not rocket science maybe that was rocket science maybe in rocket science you don't share your work well, maybe he was bad at it because it wasn't rocket science. It wasn't rocket science. <laughs> okay, it's this is total aside, but in the the Amazon, this is another thing I remember about that Amazon promo video on Saturn, the Saturn DVD. That's how Dave Johnson introduces himself. My name's Dave Johnson, and I'm a rocket scientist. So I, I will say that quite a bit when I'm talking about a rocket scientist. Uh, but there's good editing things in there as well as 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 the women are going to win and as Heidi is getting the flying fox and flying down there. You see like the camera then panned like they're cutting in shots of just the men looking dejected <laughs> as like, you know, they're feebly looking at like their horribly done puzzle and realizing they're not going to win. It's like, oh, yeah. Alex in particular There's a shot of Alex looking like his puppy just died. Like, poor Alex. And I remember sitting there. I'm watching this with my wife. My wife's cheering. She's like, yes, go, go. I'm like, oh, my God. I can't believe this just happened on national TV. Because you have to remember, this had never happened. Like, I'm thinking, like, Rob Sesternino compared it to Billie Jean King versus Bobby Riggs. It really was. That's the last time I can think of women defeating men in an athletic competition on a nationally televised scale. And I'm, I just remember putting my head, my hands over my eyes like these poor guys are going to have to live with this for the rest of their lives. And I should point out, when Heidi crossed that finish line, she knew instantly that they'd won the challenge. <laughs> and the, the men do a nice little uh, sprint to the finish line as not to, to try to make themselves look better. Yeah. Good job, guys. Second place. Good job. Silver medal. That is one of the, in my opinion, 10 most iconic and memorable survivor moments. That challenge. And just, I mean... I could not wait to get on the message boards after that episode just to see what people were saying about it. I mean, I didn't want to. I, it, it bruised my heart to know I just saw that on TV and people were just going to be talking shit about the guys now. But, man, that I mean, that, that was an iconic Survivor moment, that challenge. And just even the, I mean, luckily they have the 90 minutes to kind of make it a longer challenge than normally, you know, a challenge lasts. And, and even the, the music that they put together at the end of it, it's just so epic, their downfall. It's great. And with the longer <laughs> episode, we also get a little chunk of time where the girls can go back to camp and they can just kind of, uh, you know, laugh at them a little bit more about how much the guys <laughs> sucked. So uh, that was always good. 
Oh, God. And then Butch, of course, I will leave Jay to say the classic Butch quote right after the challenge. <laughs> Where they, you know, the men came back and they were all looking dejected. And Butch, you know, says, you know, maybe uh, going into that challenge, we were a little too cocky. Uh, I think we just believed in ourselves a little too much. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. I, I, I didn't really appreciate Butch until you pointed him out to me. Now I really love Butch. He's always got a perfect little quip. Butch is great. Yeah. I, I, oh, Butch. Get eight guys believing in themselves a little too much. <laughs> But then we get we get some we get some dude scrambling, you know, and uh, not only is dude scrambling awesome, but it's dude scrambling with Roger. Roger. Roger's, a, you know, Roger's a guy that people talk a lot of shit about him on the message boards. I've never heard anybody say anything remotely good about Roger. And I kind of like Roger as a character. I mean, he's older. He's a little set in his ways, but he's he's not really necessarily a bad guy. He's just of a different era than most of the people in his tribe. And some of the stuff he says is actually kind of funny. This just this just occurred to me right now. Could there be more polarizing name than Roger in Survivor? I mean, you know, really similar. Got, we've got like <laughs> you know, you say Rob, right? I mean, you've got like three amazing Robs. You've got like Rob, the, well, four. You've got Rob Zabaknik, who's amazing. You've got Rob the General, who's the general. But <laughs> you know, that. the two Robs that people think of the most, of course, is Rob Mariano, Boston Rob, who people consider one of the greatest players to play the game, and then you've got Rob Cesarino, who people consider one of the greatest players to play the game. So, you know, Rob's got good connotation. Then you say Roger and you've got Roger, (laughs) Roger from Australia, who's like one of the most beloved characters of all time. And then you've got Roger from the Amazon who I, I mean, you know, his Q rating has got to be what negative 348,000, something like that. And there's a little stuff too. Like there's one in, in, in episode one where he's talking about putting Daniel off. I forget if it's this episode or episode three where he's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kung fu chop him or karate chop him or something. It's, it's like, episode three. Yeah. Are you yeah. making Asian kung, jokes about yeah. Daniel? <laughs> oh, no, we, we, we got more. We, we got more. <laughs> yeah. To, I mean, to make a long story short, it basically comes down to is the vote going to be Roger or is the vote going to be Ryan? And they, you got the two factions splitting off. Correct. But- yeah, correct. But we've we, we've also got uh, we've also got some fun things here because uh, Dave, you know, has basically said he's not going to vote for Ryan because he said they're from the same hometown and all this sort of stuff. But like then you see the people kind of using the fact that Dave does not want to vote for Ryan, but he'll vote for Dan. Uh-huh. Of course. You know, and, and it takes, you know, Rob, Rob C, you know, and Rob is not really. Uh, being sort of like a ringleader yet in this vote. But I mean, Rob does point out, he's like, look, Roger has come up to me and told me to vote out Ryan. And Ryan has come up to me and told me to vote out Roger. And I told both of them I would. And, you know, even though Rob C is not really orchestrating anything quite yet, we have an, an interview or a confessional here in the episode one that is basically showing us this kid is sharp. This kid has his finger on the game. And this is going to be a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. And in fact, I got to I got to point something out here that this is something a lot of people know this, but not everyone does. Rob and I have been friends for years. I mean, we we were corresponding throughout a little bit during Amazon, a lot more after Amazon. We did a lot of stuff together where we collaborated on stuff during the years. And a lot of people don't know that a lot of the stuff that Rob kind of did on Survivor, he kind of had read in one of my columns, which was called the Andy Kaufman strategy. And you can find it on my archives page on funny115.com. But there's a couple things in there that Rob has told me specifically that he kind of saw in my column. It was kind of the same way of thinking he was approaching Survivor. And two of the things I wrote in this strategy column were always kind of get yourself in the middle. So you're always the, the, the swing vote. You can go either way. And the other thing was I wrote was, always appear surprised at tribal council no matter what the vote is so no one can tell where your vote was and if you watch episode one that's exactly what rob did 
And he kind of emailed me after the season. He's like, yeah, that acting surprised after the vote. That's something I kind of took from your column. And so I was like pointing that out, that, that there's, there's some neat stuff in this season that had never happened before. And that, especially with the acting surprise, I always get a kick when I, when I saw him do that at the end of episode one. I'm like, this guy reads my column. I totally know this kid is one of my readers, and he confirmed that later. But it's, there's some neat stuff in episode one that he does that no one had really ever done on Survivor before. All right. Are we at Tribal Council? I believe we are. Uh, I think yeah. it's time to screw the cheerleaders at halftime. <laughs> that is a great quote. <laughs> yeah. Dave Dave flip-flops between being super macho, sexist guy, and super sensitive voice of the people. Like well, Five minutes, he's like, don't mess with these ladies. Don't lie to them. Don't say we've caught many, many fish. And then five minutes later, he's like, well, you know, Jeff, you don't. the quarterback doesn't screw the cheerleader at halftime. <laughs> Wait a minute. The same person doesn't say both of those sentences. Although I guess I have to say, one of my running gags in the uh, Survivor Historians here, here, Major Jeff Probst dick moment in uh, Episode 1 Tribal Council, where he asks the guys, he's like, hey, take a look at the girls on the other tribe. <laughs> and he kind of says it with that connotation in his voice. He's clearly leading them on a path like, let's dish about these girls, right? Oh, yeah. So then the dudes are just unloading. And, you know, again, what people don't remember is I think that the characters that stand the test of time the most in the Amazon. I mean, Jenna, of course, you know, who's attractive and some men talk about how Jenna's kind of, Ooh, we don't know what's going on there. And Jenna's our winner, you know? So, so Jenna stands the test of time. And I think Heidi is probably one of the most remembered characters and people went off about Heidi, but who was the girl that most of the men talked about? Shauna. Shauna. Girl next door. The girl next door surprisingly sneaks in. Shauna. The boy, the boys were in love with Shauna. What is the line about like Shauna? Another one from Dave Johnson. Shauna wore a ski hat. That's badass or something. <laughs> what is that line? That's one of the odder fetishes I've heard. Yeah, and Shauna wore a ski hat. It's badass. <laughs> Bang a rack. <laughs> no, my favorite line in that whole tribal council is, talk about the women over there and Ryan Aiken. What does he say? He says. All those girls have unique qualities, and probes just crack yeah, them. And then, says, and then he says, some are more unique than phys- <laughs> Some are more unique physically. <laughs> really what he meant is that there's, there's, some, there's some older, bigger bigger girls who have more <laughs> more fat to live on. But but the dick moment is that Jeff Probst totally leads yeah, him on the like, same thing. And, and then they talk about it, and he's like, oh, you're all talking about getting with the women. You're all in trouble. Yeah. He's like, he's like, oh, I love, he's like, he's like, you guys just got your asses hand to you. And then when you get to tribal council, it's like, I don't care. I want to hook up. That's when you guys could be in some serious trouble. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Jesus Christ, You're Jeff, like... you totally told him to do that. Yeah. Stop asking us who we're going to hook up with then. Yeah, seriously. So we lose, we lose Ron Aiken and Rob Sesternino looks shocked, which they even showed that in the episode. They show Rob looking shocked. Oh, my God, even though he was the swing vote the whole time. And then uh, I got to point out, I love Ryan's voting confessional for Roger because no one ever remembers it. He's like, here's some advice. Don't hunt what you can't kill. So, you know, even though it failed, that's a great quote. Just remember that if you ever play online Survivor or something. Poor Ryan. See you later. Don't really care. Goodbye. Yeah. He was a good first boot, though. Again, one of the few males voted off first one of the few young males on survivor voted off first i mean was he the first young athletic male voted off first i mean like 23 24 how dare you treat peter harkey that way <laughs> yeah but he really <laughs> he, was like he, he, he was an entirely new breed of first person voted off for sure yeah and i gotta tell you a great story this is something that rob sesternino told me after the season he he laughed about ryan aiken he's like 
He's like, you know, Ryan had never seen Survivor before. I'm like, oh, really? Because I thought all the people were applicants back then. And Rob's like, no, he'd never seen Survivor. And you want to know why he'd never seen Survivor? And Rob's like, because SmackDown was on that night and he had to watch WWF SmackDown. Oh, so man. I've always loved that story. That's why Ryan Aiken failed at Survivor because he didn't really know how it worked because SmackDown was on that night. You modern people with your DVR, you don't know what it was like. Exactly. You had to be there. So that's really all I have to say about Ryan. He was one of those guys. He had a good look in his eye. Like he would have been a great evil villain or a cocky little bad guy. And if he had he made it back past that first episode, if Rob would have gone on his side as opposed to Roger's side, I think he could have been a pretty don't, kick-ass don't, bad guy don't character. You, don't you have him begging Jesse Camacho in one of your stories? Yeah, I made him a really cocky douchebag villain in my All-Star Grease story. And he's really fun to play with. Because like I said, if, if he'd gotten a little luck on his side, I think he would have been a really good villain character. He just had that look in his eye. And he never actually banged Jesse. It was all implied. Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't write those kind of stories yet. Yeah, that, no, that's a different kind of. That's that. Uh, there's a term for that. Slash I should, fiction. I, 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 I should tap into that market for Survivor. <laughs> so we get to episode two now. We're good. Episode two. Well, we got an hour and a half on episode one. This is going to be a nine-part podcast. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll fly through these. We'll, we'll, we'll try to at least. But uh, one of my favorite things is that, again... You know, we're 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 waking up with Jabiru, and they're not doing well because they still don't have a flipping shelter. Like it's they are pretty just, pathetic. It's it's pretty sad. You know, I, I was rewatching these with my wife, and my wife was watching this, and she's just like, "Jesus Christ, ladies!" You know, like she's like, "They're not doing very well." And then we get Heidi, who's basically like, "Everyone is doing fire and water because water is the most important thing, and we all it's taking all of our energy just to do fire and water." And I'm like, "Well, Heidi." That's a sign you're not doing very well if it's taking all eight of you to do fire and water. <laughs> the minute I felt thirst in my stomach, I knew that we needed water. I knew instantly. Instantly, yeah. <laughs> I got to say, episode two is great. The very first scene is the women building a shelter on Jabiru. And all of a sudden, Dina's walking around with a fully inflated blue balloon. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Where did she get a balloon? And it, so I looked at her. Someone mentioned that oh, that was her luxury item. Like, why did she bring balloons? And B, why did she feel the need to inflate it before shelter building time? I've think, always That's one of those unanswered questions I've always wanted to know the answer to. Well, I, I think specifically it says her luxury item was water balloons. Oh, okay. So maybe that <laughs> yeah, was... Yeah, it's not a, with water. A, She's holding it like a... Like it's someone's birthday. In addition to uh, the water jug, they could transport water that way. Okay. But anyway, if you're watching episode two, look for Dina walking around with a balloon during shelter building time. <laughs> it's just then, one of those little little moments. Little moments. And then I, I, I really enjoy the little moment because the, the men are looking at their manioc and they're, they they decide, you know, they're, they're got the manioc cakes and they've decided that this is there. And it's great because you see the scene of them eating them. And, and then you get a great quote from Dave who's like, no, it's filling. It's filling, and it tastes average. <laughs> it tastes average. <laughs> it's quite an endorsement. The Manioc Council of America was not going to put that on their posters. Oh, and we totally we totally missed, which is just another weird thing, and I don't want to take a long time on it, but the women catch, like, that stupid little fish, and, you know, you always get that fun scene in Survivor where they catch the fish, and it's really small, and then they everyone's eating, like, you know, a thimbleful of... Of, of fish and you know someone complains because they're just like what the fuck it's a little fish we might as well not have had it but like they cooked it in the massage edible massage oil that gene brought like jesus your luxury item is edible massage oil do this isn't temptation island what what is going on out here no yeah, one gene wants was to really see upset. that gene yeah 
Gene was really upset that the tribes weren't weren't split by gender. <laughs> Man, Paul. she was ready for that massage oil. Hey Paul. Hey, hey Paul. How about that Gene? Gene annoys me because one, she's just so damn weird. Like, who the hell is this lady? And I guess we'll jump into a little bit more about some more reasons that she annoys me. At this point, she hasn't annoyed me annoyed me too much, but we'll we'll get there. Do you know in my I used to do these power rankings for my column when the season came out? My number one, right off the bat, I picked Rob Sesternino because he said he's not a nice person. My number two was Gene. She was someone I was positive was going to be a major major figure in survivor history and it just didn't happen so i will yeah yeah i'll put that little point of shame and i also picked jenna dead last and 16th so again way to go me so we get our we get a reward challenge and it's for bait which you know awesome and uh it's this one where they have to pick up uh wood slabs uh everyone's blindfolded there's a collar you know we've we've had this a few times joanna is jabaru's collar and butch butch is tom mckee's collar and, uh, and thank God Jabaru had a had a one extra member so Christy could sit out of this challenge. They <laughs> yeah, so wanted great. Christy to be in that challenge. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah, something tells me they would not have done that challenge had had the women been down eight to seven at that point. So, um, <laughs> so they're doing this challenge, and you know what's funny again, you know, and and you kind of have to do more extrapolation, which we I love doing. But uh, you know, there's a scene where the you know the men are in the field and they're trying to find the slats, and uh, you know he leads towards somebody. I think it's like Dave or Roger, somebody. They're like, "Is this it, Butch?" And Butch is like, "No, that's a stick. Put it down." <laughs> and then you know you could tell like in Butch's mind, he's like, "Wait, no, pick that back up. We could totally use that later." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which doesn't do well. He didn't really believe in himself there. No, no, no. Joanne, jo- Joanna, like you know, gets everyone going, and uh, the women two in a row win the uh, win the first immunity challenge, win the reward challenge in episode two. Yeah, the men are starting to get a little humbled here. But this is the scene that you talked about earlier with Dave, because you know, once they get on there, I think Jeff is ta- talking to them about fishing, right? Because this leads into the bait, you know, and he's like, "Do you guys have fish?" And the dudes are like, "Yeah, we got fish." Yeah, we got fish, and then, you know, they come back to camp after they lose the challenge, and Dave's like, I need 30 seconds of your silence, gentlemen. <laughs> I think that was episode one, actually. Was it? Oh, damn. Either Still a way. good scene, though. But yeah, I love yeah. Dave waffles between, like, again, between the macho guy and the voice of reason. He just kind of goes back and forth. Either way, it's fantastic. But, uh, you know, it's good. So then the women win the bait, and uh, then we get some interesting... Episode two's got some fun um, uh, talk around camp. You know, we've got... Uh, We've got uh, uh, religious talk on the on the women's side, and we've got you know gay 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 marriage talk on the men's side. I mean, this is heavy yeah. stuff going on here. Yeah, that always that always turns out well. <laughs> That's always going to. Let's go debate places. gay marriage with Roger. Yeah. <laughs> um, Look, what, yeah. I don't want. I wasn't going to talk too much about that gay debate, other than you watch Roger and Alex both arguing their sides, and off to the side there's Rob Sesternino with the biggest shit-eating grin on his face. No, Rob. Rob yeah, loves it. Yeah, he'll flat out tell you, I love when any two people, anytime two people fight, that's good for business. And again, that's classic kind of survivor bottom bottom feeding 101 that no one had really done up to that point where Rob just sits back and waits for a fight. And then he'll just insert himself as the middle of the swing in case there's a, a vote down the road. So it's it's kind of he just watch him smiling every time there's a fight. This is my only advice I'm going to say on it. And I'm going to move on. But, you know, if you are uh, like if you are of the mind that you are pro gay marriage and you start talking to someone who's maybe slightly a bit older and one of their sentences starts out with the phrase, the gay thing, <laughs> the gay thing. 
probably just want to shut down that conversation right then. Probably nothing super fruitful is going to come out of it on both sides. I'm just saying. I mean, it's just a piece of advice. Absolutely. And it's funny because how much the language of Survivor has changed. Back in season one, we just said hatch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a horrible joke, but you set me up perfectly. Oh, boy. <laughs> So then, you know, we get the women fishing over there, but then, but then this is what Paul was talking about that they set up in episode one. Then we get Joanna this talking about awesome. how she doesn't like the idol. <laughs> <laughs> and I just was, I was laughing at the scene today. The whole thing goes down. They're like, they're lying out and, you know, they don't have a shelter. So they're just getting rained on. And, you know, and, um, and Joanna is going on and on here about the reason that, you know, that they're getting rained on is because they brought the idol into their camp and they're trying to, like, you know, talk her out of this, like, well, you know, it's it's a symbol of, of unity that we won. And, and then they said, if the idol was, no, 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 that's not why. We won the challenge before we got the idol, so if the idol's our friend, why did the idol, when the idol goes, I don't even, like, understand what she's saying because she's trying to make these points here. And then she goes into this, like, long, like, I worship I worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the El Shaddai, the blah, 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 going on and on. And, you know, talking about how the Old Testament, they struck people down, and that's why it rained last night, because they had this idol in her camp and stuff, which is just as like, I mean, I, we don't like to get political or religious on this podcast, but I think anyone with a like, clear frame of mind, mind will think how, you know, acknowledges what a ridiculous, you know, thought this is, and it brings up tons of jokes, like, what would, jo- what would Joanna think about hidden immunity idols? But she really is think that, yeah, has thought that Survivor has gone to the devil now. Um... But it's just great. One of the best lines of it that she said she was going to spend all night like praising the Lord and talking about you know something like that. And then Dina says, "Can you do it in a whisper?" No. She well, says yeah, no mean, after that. <laughs> Can you do it in a whisper? Yeah, no. no. <laughs> like oh, awesome. What's funny is that you know it was well known that it was called the Survivor Immunity Idol this up to that point. Season this is season one. six. Yeah. This was not a surprise. Like, if you don't like the concept of idols, don't go on survive. It just uh, that one's always kind of boggled my mind. What what was she thinking? Yeah, I mean, we should really, as Survivor historians, come up with a checklist. I mean, uh, things you really should practice and know before you go out there on Survivor. Like, step one, learn how to untie knots for fuck's sake. You know, uh, step two, learn how to do a flint. And steal, you know, like like practice, because at some point you're going to get one. And I mean, they go out there and they're like, I don't know. I don't know how this works. And they just kind of hack at it with a knife. And you're like, you know, there are things that you probably need to know. Number three is there's going to be things called idols. And if that <laughs> bothers you, you need to either get the fuck over it or don't apply. <laughs> yeah, that was just a weird. It's, it's followed right after that where Christy says, oh, it's stupid. And then Joanne and her get in this big fight. And I always remember this because. During that scene, you know, Joanna holds up the holds up her hand saying, I'm going to shut you down. And, you know, Chrissy didn't really take offense to that. But I remember on the message boards, oh, the fans had a shit fit over that. Oh, she put her hand in the face of a deaf person. That's so offensive. Like people just went nuts over that. And I don't remember Christy even really responding that much other than the fact that she was in a fight. It was it, I remember that was a big deal at the time. Oh, you you block your lips from a deaf person. That's so rude. He did, but she had a she had a she had a zinger in her confessional there that I totally. Yeah. So if you're a vessel of Christ, shouldn't you be a little nicer? Yeah, <laughs> that was a good quote. I mean, props to Christy on that one because she's right. But you can see even in that scene, and I mean, the the question is is you know can a deaf person handle Survivor? And I don't think we still know because Christy's just a Looney Tune as she is. But uh, you know, Christy's having this fight with 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 Joanna, and I mean, they're going back and forth. There's no slowdown or. 
you know, anything like that. They're just going back and forth. And I mean, it is, I mean, it is, it is legit as anything else. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, Christie's lip reading and just the way she can interact with people on that basis. It's fine. Yeah. And Christy, I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, was right. It is stupid to get mad that an idol's in your camp when the point of the game is to have an idol in your camp. But you know what the idol did by being in their camp? I'm not sure, but Heidi would know. Heidi would know because the instant she saw that granola bar at the bottom of their storage container. Yeah. That, that granola bar thing, it was a big deal at the time. I remember on the message boards, oh, they find contraband. It's a big controversy. But if you look at it, that really had no effect on anything that happened in the season, and it was quickly forgotten the next episode. I think people, when they look back at things, they they try to make a big deal out of it. And, you know, like, oh, it's a granola bar, but it's like they pinned it on Janet, and Janet was clearly going home next. So it was like, yeah. ah, not a big deal. Well, over the years, I've heard lots of theories who actually had the granola bar. I don't want to really get into that too much because I don't know anything anybody else knows. I mean, who knows? I've heard theories, oh, it was Christie's, or someone thought it might be, uh, who was it? jeans or something that's why Jean was so mad at everyone else because she was trying to deflect blame like no one knows but like yeah i mean janet was going home anyway it made no difference okay one th- one thing that too that annoys me about Jean is that they're talking about they're like uh and g doesn't want to let it go she wants to like question janet and give her an opportunity to uh confess um so that's annoying and dumb and the other thing is uh, just recently i heard with an interview with alex bell that he says i can't remember the time frame on it but he said i think it was before the game started he opened his bag and found a granola bar in his bag wow before the game started and it was one of those kind of situations that okay and it was yeah i I mean people can listen to that interview and stuff and and get all the information about that and gather what you want from it but like like mario said there's been tons of theories and and things thrown out there since since the the show aired about the whole granola, granola bar thing but like you said in the end it doesn't really matter at all Last thing I no want, difference, yeah. Last thing I want to bring up about the granola bar before we can move on. Uh, the women make a big deal of taking the either not, you know, uneaten or partially eaten granola bar and burn it in the fire. Do you yep. think the men, if they had come across a granola bar, would have thrown it away or burned it? Or do you think they would have, you know, bitched about it, done some things about it, but then split it and eat it? Judging well, by the scenes we saw in episode one, they were so horny, they might have tried to hump it. <laughs> Well, Dave would have gotten upset by it, but um, <laughs> gentlemen, I need thirty seconds of your silence. <laughs> yeah. I, I had it going. To, I had these episodes going today, and I was rewatching it. And and my fiance said, "Oh, since when do uh since like Heidi makes this big thing like the guys did not get it like definitely would not have been fair." She's like, "Since when are these girls all about being fair with the guys? Since they have such a you know such a good you know relationship with the guys going on now? You know when they're like they're so freaking cocky. God I just want to beat them and shut them up. And now, and now they they don't want to take an eighth of a granola bar each because it wouldn't be fair. But when you know, I saw that granola bar in the fire, I knew instantly that we weren't going to eat it. <laughs> but you know, it's it, having having them try to talk about sickly going home next Janet was super exciting leading into probably the most super exciting immunity challenge you could ever think of. That's right. We're back to the men showing their dominance, the memory challenge. The memory challenge. <laughs> That's right. You got. I got to go in, and you got to. You got to memorize how many of the roots were shaved and how many bananas were in there. This, this is. This is right up the men's alley. This is right back to our dominance over the females. 
I don't even know what to think anymore when we talk about these older seasons. Because, look, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, a lot of modern modern Survivor challenges because it all just kind of is like run over here and then get stuff so you, we can play like parlor games, like knock down bottles with a with a baseball or, you know, ring toss or something like that. I mean, that's kind of stuffy. But, you know, I think a modern Survivor fan can really throw in the face and say, well, shit, you had kite flying in Marquesas. <laughs> You know, you you have all this sort of stuff and then you know you get Amazon where it's like literally, uh, look at this scene and then you're gonna, you know, answer some questions about it in a little bit. <laughs> I well love, to be I, fair, I mean I was gonna say in, in Thailand you had a lot of mental challenges because it was kinda older against younger. And in Amazon they had males versus females. So they can't just have brute strength challenges like they were having. So in all fairness to Amazon, they needed challenges that either gender had an, an equal chance to win. I like how uh, Alex narrates for the men there. Um, this wood, this stove is made out of mud. Um, these are uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> he, uh, see, he believed in himself. That's the difference. That's the difference between us, between him and other people. He believes in himself. But I am going to call not fair on this challenge because Christy totally did not get her answer right. And it's totally because she was deaf. <laughs> I don't even remember. What did she miss? Oh gosh, it was uh, they, it was it, it was a it was a counting question. It was you know how many yeah, how many of the um, manioc things were in the thing, and she said twelve, and the answer was nine. Yeah, yeah, she just counted wrong. You know, th- there was a lot of those that was that that seemed tough. You know, some of them seemed obvious, like the one that Roger had, uh, and I think Dina or somebody had it was you know how many manioc cakes are in the frying pan. Like if I'm looking at a scene, that's something stupid obvious to you, but uh yeah. some of those things were were pretty difficult questions and you know, I'm not starving and I'm sitting on a couch and I'm like, "Well, I don't know. Shit." <laughs> hey, but the men won. That's all that all that counts. We we took back our dignity. Yes. With, right, with yeah. The, with, Fuck yeah. 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 The pizza but, and steak. Let's all put our machetes in the air and go go Tombaki! Tombaki, Tombaki, Tombaki rocks. Let's steal their chant. Yes, and we get our first Rob Sesternino nickname. Ooh, I don't have that in my notes. What was his first nickname? Rabasu. Oh, Rabasu. Okay, yeah. For, first yeah, time was, it comes up. Yeah, they use that a lot during the season, and I never, I don't know the backstory on that. I'm sure there's a fascinating backstory. Maybe someone knows why he was Rabasu, but yeah, that's that in all effect becomes his nickname for the rest of the season. And then Mateo, Rabasu and Mateo become a big thing later. Rabasu and Mateo, but then uh, so the women have to go to uh, uh, tribal council, and it, you know the editing and everything just looks super straightforward. I mean, Janet has already complained in episode one and episode two that she's just not doing well physically out there. She's sick. I mean, even Jenna is complaining that Janet isn't doing anything, which is never a good sign. And uh, then we get Granola Bar Gate, which everyone's just like, yeah, it's Janet. And then we get to Tribal Council, and there's like a million people that give votes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, just, well, I love the, the fighting spirit that Janet's had this whole time, too. She said, you know, I think it'll come down to either me or Christy. Um, and strategically, I should vote for Christy, but um, I think instead I'm going to vote for Jean. So I love Janet. You hate Jean. I know I love Janet because she's voting for Jean just because. <laughs> All right, just making sure that's that's the the was the reflexive property there. By hating one, you have to love the other. Exactly, <laughs> something like that. But yeah, so yes, you uh, is voted out quite handily. Oh, you know, there's a moment at tribal council where Christy again brings up that no one will talk to her because she's deaf, and all the women are like, "No, that's not the case at all." And of course, yeah. <laughs> of course, as, the, as a TV audience, you got to take Christy's side, even though no one is backing up her claim except for Christy. <laughs> 
So, and, and again, just for the viewers, I mean, I guess this is something that people don't even think about because Survivor is so slick in their production and whatnot. We're at Tribal Council. How is Christy doing it? Well, she's still there. No, I mean, I mean the fact that everybody's talking, obviously, at Tribal Council oh. and, and Christy's sitting there. She's like, how is Christy around. getting... Yeah, I think I think there was an interpreter to Jeff's right. If you look, she's always looking kind of over by Jeff as people are talking. Well, but she yeah. always. But there's there's many times that she's like you can see her physically turned around when someone else is talking. Huh. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to that. I'm someone. I mean, I've heard both. I mean, I, I, Paul's right. You do see her looking at people. I think they also provided an interpreter. Could as be well because I think I think that I've heard that as well. But uh... yeah, but what if the interpreter was slipping her stuff that no one else could read? Like, yeah. They're going to blindside you tonight. <laughs> no, one, no one could catch that. Maybe, 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 uh, maybe the interpreter was uh, the reason for all these problems. Like, like that. The interpreter sounds like that bitch Jenna just flipped you off. <laughs> that bitch Heidi is making inappropriate, inappropriate hand gestures, making fun of your disability. We, we brought in this interpreter. The interpreter prefers to be called Chill One. Seems legit. <laughs> They're just gonna hang out here, not not affect in any way. That's funny. I never once thought of the interpreter creating the entire storyline <laughs> Survivor Amazon. It's brilliant. Uh, yes. So 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 Janet then goes home in a widely awesome five one one vote. <laughs> five one one one. Five one one one. Five and three ones. She had good final words though. Again, in keeping with the Ryan Aiken tradition, the thing about. Uh, for all you middle-aged ladies out there who are thinking of having a midlife crisis, don't go on Survivor. Perhaps a change of hairstyle. Yes. <laughs> that, like, she had, that was cool. Like, like uh, Jan just seemed to me to one of those people just would be like a nice lady if you knew in life. Like, she's like the nice lady at the church you grew up in that was always nice to you and maybe gave you money on your birthdays and that type of thing. But just really was out of place in the game of Survivor. Like, you can't really yeah. hold anything against Janet, but just like really wasn't her thing. Yeah. One thing I always remember about Janet's final words is there was one survivor columnist on the internet. I forget who he was, what website he was on, but he was like all the columnists at the time. He was very young. And so you have young people writing about old people, older people, which is always interesting. And I remember Janet's final words. She says, get a change of hairstyle. And I remember this columnist wrote, what a what a poor role model Janet is for women with her antiquated views on what women do. And I'm like, that's what middle-aged women do. They change their hair. So I just always remember that of younger guys writing about middle-aged women just don't really get. God, it's it also kind of a freaking joke. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I remember he was he came down on her like she's providing antiquated gender roles for young girls. And it, I don't think it's a good role model. <laughs> Shut up. And that'll be the last time anyone ever talks about Janet. We have literally no other Janet stories. Rest in peace, Janet Koff. <laughs> yes, exactly. 2008, she lived a good life. So we get into episode three, and uh, we're with the dudes. And, uh, you know, this Roger's episode, pissed. Yeah, I was going to say, the episode starts off with our, our kung fu chop. Yeah. And Dan has a great, great quote in there, which I always, always laugh when I hear it. Oh, He's God, like, say it. Yeah. Roger, he smells like really old vinegar. <laughs> And he, he's, it's great and, and just the way he says it too because it's kind of like that young dude way of how you say he's like and and roger he kind of smells bad you know he he kind of smells like like spoiled vinegar it's like not you know, even it's relevant this... it's just freaking funny <clears throat> i gotta say something about dan lou here this is something that I, do you guys know that he was really sick on survivor this kind of came out after he was voted out yeah he had malaria right 
Yeah, he had malaria. It was a kind of a big deal. And so he's one of these guys I hear a lot of people talk trash about, but he really was not feeling well on Survivor. When he came out, he had malaria, and he was like one of the sicker guys in Survivor history. So it's fun to trash talk him, but that guy really went through an ordeal out there, and I don't think most people know that. He went through an ordeal out there, and what's great is that, you know, again, jumping ahead to, to Tribal Council for Episode 3, Dan's like, you know, I'm different. I'm, I'm, I'm Asian-American, and I'm different from all these, you know, six other white guys that are out here, and they're stereotyping me. And it's like, Dan, they called you lazy, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Asians are hardworking. Come on, get, you're at the wrong stereotype, Dan. Well, l- <laughs> luckily he had a Matthew to speak uh, Chinese with in private where no one could hear them. <laughs> That's a fantastic scene, by the way. It it's really is. really good. Yeah, Matt. I mean, Matt starts to get a really soft, positive winner's edit around here. And it's right around this episode where he pulls Dan aside. He says, stick in there. You know, I'll be your friend. Hang in there. And they play this really nice music in the background. And it's again, I pointed out earlier that Amazon is kind of considered an unsatisfying season. And that's why, like, if you watch it the first time it aired, the perception was that Jenna was a spoiled brat who picked on the deaf girl. Matt was this heroic underdog who survived all these odds and learned how to play the game. And then Matt just gets trounced in the final vote so that, that was the thing we'll get to that at the end but if you watch mac it's a really nice little winner comeback at it right around this point in the season yes so yeah we we're gonna get that scenes a little bit later in the episode but yes we get the great you know roger is pissed at dan and dan is not helping getting the water very well and you know sometime in this episode you get a fun shot of roger like you know struggling to get this jug and so well, i could do it what's that dan doing and all that sort of stuff but we're leading into probably one of my favorite reward challenges of all time oh is it the mixer it's the mixer oh so exciting i, I love that yeah episode three i forgot it comes so early in the season but maybe my all-time favorite well, it's, survivor challenge it's got to come back because we got to have dan in it <laughs> dan's not long for this game all right yeah so, good point Yes. But yeah, the mixer. Um, yeah, this is the one where they put the men and the women together for the first time. It's like a little social setting. They're joking with each other. They're playing around. And it's just 10 minutes of character scenes of characters interacting, little quirks, who's flirting, who's playing the game, who's there to win. It's really an interesting scene. And they throw in this uh, almost like samba music or something in the background, this fun little playful mixer music. It's, it's like just, I, it's, it's so it's, club med. Yeah, it's Club Man. It's just it's one of the greatest scenes in Survivor history. And I you cannot help but smile every time you watch that scene. It's just fun. It's just a fun scene, you know, and when they're playing for personal uh, hygiene stuff, they're playing for, you know, soap and shampoo and conditioner, which is going to lead to some fun viewing later for us. But, you know, then everything in the basket, because they, they repeat this challenge. This is obviously in Survivor All-Stars as well, which a lot of people uh, will remember. And, you know, that one, it was just more like island things like feather and rocks and, you know, things like there. But this time it's, you know, they're looking for toothbrushes and shampoo and conditioner and pumice stones. So then you get these people with their boxes of personal hygiene goodies and then they have to ask each other do they have it and then you have to make a match that way and uh you know it it, it's just really good i i can't I, i can't stress it it's just super fun all the way around yeah it's really just an excuse for the young guys to go talk to the younger girls if you notice they always call on the younger girls Although the, one of my all-time favorite scenes moments in that scene is where Roger comes over and gets an item from Joanna, and she's messing around with him. So she holds it really high because he's little. Yeah. It's like She's like, come up and get it, Roger. And he just kind of like, hey. It's just even Roger can have a playful little moment with Joanna, just little stuff like that. Uh, Dan, you know, he, he starts out, you, the cute girl with curly hair. Yeah. <laughs> you got that? A, yeah, Hello, uh, my name's right, Dan. <laughs> 
I didn't write down all of the things that happened in the scene. But I just remember little stuff like Daniel accidentally asking the same person, like I forget for shampoo that had already been asked. It's it's conditioner. Rob, it's it's yeah, Heidi. Yeah, and Rob's it's like, yeah, and Heidi doesn't wrong. have it either, Dan. No, no, <laughs> no. no. He asks it, and then someone someone I asks forget. someone else for it. it, it it's 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 a thing. Yeah, and then and then the women just swoop in on these easy points, like and Dina's like, "Do you have shampoo, buddy?" To Rob, just little <laughs> stuff like I just love that scene. It's one of the funniest scenes in Survivor history. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. It, well, you see some certain things like first of all, Christy takes an item from a girl, which you know, not really the point of the challenge. Way to go, Christy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it. Is that Rob asks Heidi for conditioner, and then Dan asks Heidi for conditioner, and then. Yeah. Somebody somebody asks Rob. One of the girls asks Rob for conditioner, and Rob says, "I do not have conditioner. I've already given it away." And yeah. Heidi doesn't have any either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just funny. And Rob is clearly the sharpest one, just with his little word plan. I know Probes kind of points it out. Hey, does that does that interplay? Does that quick witty banter work with women? And Rob's like, "Surprisingly, no, it doesn't." And all the women are like, "Yes, it does." You hear what we say about him? He's like, "Dear God, oh, God. I hope there yeah. is a merger." <laughs> Yeah, Robisu. Yeah, and they're all like bowing to him. Robisu. Again, I, this is something I've written before that they should have that mixer in every season. That is such a cool little character building scene, even though it's insignificant and the reward is something minimal. It's just you learn so much more about what the people are like in just by in a day to day scenario. The reward is not minimal here, though, Mario Lanza. I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot in Montana, shampoo and conditioner are luxury, like a uh, luxury items that only the rich and prestigious can afford. Like I'm used to making my own soap. This is huge. <laughs> and I like bear fat. I was very disappointed though, that once I left Montana, I found out that that well, just getting shampoo does not equal hot topless chicks. <laughs> I thought that was yep. part of the package. Two things I guess I need to point out. This isn't Jeff Probst's dick moment. This is Jeff Probst's creeped moment because uh, Jenna does something and someone's like, Jenna, not showing anything, literally. And she says, nope, not today, maybe some other time, which, of course, is foreshadowing later in the season. But also then Jeff responds. Jeff Probst responds with, oh, really? (laughs) Jesus, Jeff. (laughs) I didn't catch that. That's good. It's real quick, you know, it, it, it could be one of the other dudes, but it sounds like Jeff's voice, you know, because he's like, Jenna, not giving anything away or not showing anything, literally. And she's like, nope, not today. Maybe maybe some other day or maybe tomorrow. And Jeff's like, really? Wow. There you go. You're there. But then the other great thing is that the, the challenge is fantastic in and of itself. But then the challenge is done. And then once the challenge, before we get over to the payoff, Jabiru with the women bathing, we get over to the men's side and they're talking about the females. And this is just fantastic editing because they're talking and they've got like they're showing the women like in a bubble. Yeah, this is the first time they'd ever really done that in Survivor history where they Rob's talking about someone and they'll do a little thought bubble of her picture off to the side. It's really kind of a funny little moment. Where they're talking about like Shauna and oh Jenna, oh, what's what's she got there? And then Rob has, of course, the classic thing about Heidi, where he's like, uh, you know, uh, I really, you know, I I I I need, I'd really like to get with Heidi. But this is the thing: is that you know, in real life, she's a nine and a half or a ten, and uh, she's been out here for three days in the, in the in the jungle, so she's probably closing in on a six, which which is really advantageous for me. <laughs> and what's funny is the editors match that with pictures of Heidi matching the description, where she's a ten, and then the next scene of her her hair falling out, her looking all bedraggled. <laughs> and what's funny, I was just, I just happened to be watching that scene with my wife in the background the other day. And she hates Heidi. She'll never say a good word about Heidi. But even in this scene, it's like she hears Rob saying, yeah, well, Heidi's closing in on a six. And my wife's like, you know, Rob's going down, too. He's going down also. 
Uh, well, Heidi, would you like uh, some help uh, washing uh, uh, your bosom? Your bosom. <laughs> yeah, they all just shake their heads. Oh, God. And then I think that's also the one where Rob talks about Joanna. Yes. Where he's like, yeah. I, don't, I, don't I don't like, like Joanna. Yeah, yeah, she's always yelling about Jesus and how Jesus loves Jabiru. And he goes, I didn't know that Jesus had a vested interest in Survivor. Because as far as I've seen every picture of Jesus, he's a guy. And I would think he'd want the guys to win, which, which is a great quote. I mean... The, really, the first comedian on Survivor. That was really well done. Well, then we're also reminded that Butch isn't dead. <laughs> well, I'm not really supposed to look, but I ain't dead. But, Paul, I really want to know about women's bathing etiquette. <laughs> well, first, Chris reminds us that, uh, that you know, bathing in general is a very self-conscious thing. And uh, Chrissy doesn't get invited out the other younger girls because uh, uh, why would that be, Mario? Well, why would Heidi and, and Shauna and, and Jenna go off by themselves? Well, because they had to wash Jenna's bosom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, it's because the young, cute, pretty girls go off and bathe by themselves because it's a huge deal to bathe around the older, fatter people. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they're younger. They have better bodies. You yeah. know, I mean, and that's and, like and a it's huge. A... <laughs> <laughs> When, we know when, when Heidi saw Dina take her shirt off, she just knew instantly that Dina was older and bigger than her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that is the, really the first scene where the younger, cuter girls, as they themselves describe themselves, that's not a phrase I'm making up, we are the younger, cuter ones, and we have to separate because it's just a big deal for other people to be around because we're younger and senior. Uh, so that, right there, that I- is where Heidi... Heidi made friends with every woman over the age of 30 in America, right there. I'm going to go topless. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Jay, would you like some help with your bosom? Oh, I would. That'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. Then they, you know, I mean, but, you know, Survivor, they just must have ate that up. I mean, because, you know, not only is it, you know, these three chicks just going off into the, the in, in doing this, like, bathing thing and Heidi saying just incredibly ridiculous quotes. You know, they got the slow motion hair shot and the music changes. It must have just been so fun to, you know, just do that. They were like, can we really do this? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. It's going to be great. Well, well I, yeah, I, mean, just, I just remember before Survivor the Amazon even aired, you know, going back to all the hype about it. I think it was on Extra or something. I remember watching a story and they're like, and they were saying something along the lines of, and the Survivor scene that's like fighting against the censors or something like that. And they showed kind of clips of this scene. And then, you know, little little did everyone know watching that it was going to air in episode three. It, it, they just kind of made it seem like there's a scene that gets cut from the show because it's so racy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the thing. If you if you set a season in the Amazon, what's the first thing you kind of think of when you think of Amazon? Amazonian women. And so they cut the scene of three gorgeous young girls bathing in the Amazon River topless. I mean, like, again, like Jay said, this is an editor's wet dream. They're like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're I mean, it almost makes me wonder if the producers flat out told them, hey, go bathe topless in the river so we can get some shots for our promos. I mean, I, I'm, again, I'm not a young female. I do not know if that's traditional female behavior to go bathe topless with one another. But, hey, it worked for TV, and it, it got some good ratings. Yeah, and, 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 and another real fun quote right there at the end of the scene is that, you know, once they're, they're, they've already now gone topless and are bathing, it's kind of at the, the wind down of the bathing scene. But then Shauna is talking about the experience, and she's saying, you know, I finally got to be myself. And it's like, it's a good thing to know that yourself is topless bathing in the Amazon River. Yes, and that yourself will crumble an episode later when you don't get a can of Coke. Look, man, Coke is delicious. I think I might have a breakdown, too, a hashtag survivor breakdown. All right, we got a couple uh, 
uh, character scenes that are important to come right around this time in the episode. I think we glossed over one where the women decide they're going to elect a leader because they're just not getting anything done. Mm-hmm. And in classic cowardly Gene form, I'll, I'll play right into Paul's hands here. Gene says, we need a leader. I nominate Dina. So they're all like, all right, Dina's our leader. And Dina's like, what? What the, what the hell just happened? And so that's kind of the thing. And Gene even says, why? Well, I didn't want, you know, the leader always gets voted out. So I was very subtle in saying Dina should be the leader. Because she and Joanna thought she's kind of hot headed and was going to cause some friction. Yeah. In fact, I actually think this is a significant moment in the season because later, I mean, we're going to get to it where Dina decides to align with the younger girls as opposed to Jean and Joanna. Like, I think this had a lot to do with it because right there, Jean is so transparent as what she's trying to do to get Dina to get uh, votes thrown at her that I think that right there, that's why Dina decides to vote with the younger females later on. I think she just doesn't trust Jean after that moment. So this was just kind of a little insignificant moment, but I think it had big ramifications later on down the road that I think this is why Dina decides to make that weird alliance with the younger girls. Well, and not only that, but it's very clear that Jenna and Heidi and Shauna are all uh, sticking together and Jean and Joanna have developed a bond, but then you've got wildcard Christy and you've got Dina left and it's like, Hey, let's do something to get Dina voted out. It's like, are we thinking through on this? Is this something you really want to be doing? Yeah. It's just, there's some weird dynamics in that. And again, when I was writing my power rankings at the time, never in a million years did I think that Dina would end up aligning with the younger females. Cause that's just not an alliance that makes sense on survivor up to that point in history. You tended to align with people who were like you. And that was a weird alliance. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. It was really kind of a game changing move. And so Rob wasn't the only one doing things in this season that were different than, than, uh, you know, past survivor history. Dina was doing some stuff that was unique too. And she doesn't really get nearly enough credit for that. I love Dina. Yeah, Dina's great. I have, again, she's one of those characters I've never heard anybody say anything bad about. And I'm shocked that she was never considered back for All-Stars or anything. She was a big character, and she was a fun character. Right, and for those of you, uh, Dina does stop by on Previously on Survivor every once in a while. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she's she's pretty awesome. And Survivor sucks. She's well-known for showing up on Sucks every so often and just talking to people. Yep. She's really cool. Yeah, it's and it's good that you mentioned that they had the Dina pick, you know, pick Dina as the leader scene because then we get the cool little women on the upswing montage. Is that right here? I think that's next episode. I have it in episode three. Am I wrong? All right. Well, we we'll get to that in a second because we're skipping another very important relationship that pops up right here and has huge ramifications on the season. This is where Rob and Alex kind of team up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, in my opinion, is really the key to the season when Rob and Alex team up because Alex says. You know, Rob's been pulling a lot of wool over people's eyes. He's a sharp kid. He knows what he's doing. And Alex is like, I think I'm the only one that he's letting in on that little secret. So it's that Alex is kind of in on Rob's little game here that Rob's the best player out there and he's hiding behind this goofy persona. And so that Rob and Alex pairing becomes very powerful down the road. And it's really kind of a minor scene in this episode. But if you watch it, watch for it, because I think the whole season kind of revolves around those two finally teaming up. Rob finally has a sidekick. Yeah, and and so smart how Rob even approaches this too, because he kind of comes to to Alex, not like you know, not in a powerful position, like oh, like you and I should team up and like you know, like you know, we both can run this thing. He kind of comes into to the conversation, you know, kind of showing his weakness and stuff. And Alex tells him, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Like you, know, you don't have to be next. We don't have to take this. So you know, Rob is very very good when it comes to to making these kinds of uh, bonds strategically in the game. Yeah, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people really give Rob enough credit for is that 
You know, you see him behind the scenes doing strategy, talking crap about people, saying how he's going to change the game, saying he's the swing vote. No one else in the game ever saw anything remotely like that side. He was just a goofy kid. He'd make jokes. He'd make hot chocolate and Viagra jokes. So when Alex says, hey, this Rob kid is pretty sharp, like you have to keep in mind the context there. He's This is nine days into the game or so. And this is the first time anyone's ever seen that Rob's even remotely strategic. So it's a big deal that he's finally showing his true colors to one person because you need that second person to do anything. You can't do anything by yourself in Survivor. You always need kind of a sidekick. And that's that's an important moment in Survivor history right there, I think. All right. What do we got here? Uh, we got a little fun character scene where Dave and Matt go out and catch a fish. <laughs> this is something that this is one I always remember. I don't know why it's, it means nothing to the, the context of the season, but they bring a fish, they bring it back. And it's like, uh, and Dave lets out the goofiest little laugh. You know, the laugh I'm talking about. Dave has many different sides to him has probably yeah, many different yeah. laughs too. Yes. Yeah. He brings back this fish and Dave's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Just listen for it if you're listening to Amazon. If you're watching Amazon, oh, I thought I, I, I thought that was the pink dolphin. Oh no, not the pink. No, we'll <laughs> never see a pink dolphin, Paul. Remember that. Oh, okay. All right. Uh. And, and, oh, that's the and that's the fish that they cook up, and and Matt doesn't have a. He's mad they don't have the proper service vessels, and they don't have the seasoning <laughs> the proper fish. Great line when Rob's narrating this here, saying how how uh, Matt's going on about how like oh it's such a travesty that I I you know I won't have all my. <laughs> all my uh like everybody says all is like you know cooking supplies and stuff and then matt says that you won't have the proper service vessels and said it's going to be pretty primitive and they're like i i think we'll be okay <laughs> i think we can handle primitive and then you know we've we've gotten the background already that matt uh you know grew up in a uh he said he was born raised in hong kong you know after that scene with where he was talking with dan and so then you know he's chomping away at the you know he takes the eyeballs and stuff like that and everyone's like oh matt mateo it's pretty manly there and you know then rob has the there's no eye in team but there's one in matt's mouth <laughs> that's a great line okay we're just about up to the part that jay was talking about the women turnaround season where everything's working together but there's something i want to mention right here with this rob and alex forming together and it's something i have in my notes and i underlined it it's very important i said one thing that i noticed in amazon and basically in all the older survivor seasons is that it seems like there's way more content than in the newer seasons and i could never put my figure finger on why that is why do they seem like they're longer episodes than the newer seasons do and the reason that is i noticed it in amazon i finally put it two and two together is that they don't really have strategy or scenes where people talk about who they're going to blindside how the vote's going to go what happens is you'll show Rob and Alex getting together, and then immediately you'll cut to a confessional of Alex summarizing everything that happened in that conversation in like 10 seconds. So Alex will summarize the entire strategic conversation in retrospect. You don't see it all play out, and it's a big difference in the way they do strategy scenes compared to how they would do it in later seasons. And I'm curious if you guys noticed that as well. I never noticed that, but now that you say that, it makes complete sense. It shows them walking off together, and they start having this conversation, and it fades out to Alex talking about, Rogers came to me, and he blah, blah, blah. And yeah, we get a summary of it. We don't get the play-by-play with the you know little subtitles on there, because Survivor used to not like to do the subtitle thing. Now, you know, they got to a stage where they'll put a whole strategic conversation, even if it's whispers, and they'll subtitle the whole thing for us. But back then, it was almost like they didn't like to do that. And so if it was kind of like, you know, these conversations that really weren't that clear or anything, or really complicated, or, you know, would be something over the, the viewer's head or unnecessary, because back then, you know, it wasn't necessary to, to, to hash out every little strategic plan, that they could use narratives from the characters to explain what was going on strategically. 
I think yeah, in that, fact, go ahead. it's just about the minutes that you have in, in the show. Uh, you know, you have to give some minutes to a reward challenge and some minutes to an immunity challenge and a whole segment to tribal council. So even, you know, from this 42 minute television show, you're really only working with what, like a good, you know, 30 minutes, a little bit less of, yeah. of things you can see. And, you know, nowadays in Modern Survivor, you've got to have you know, a couple segments where people are looking for hidden immunity idols. And then you have to have, uh, a, you know, the segments you're right. I mean, now it's all about, uh, you know, we got to split votes this way and, and we've got to do all this kind of uh, number crunching. And, hey, that's that's how Modern Survivor works. And, I mean, I know that we're sitting here talking about how we like old school Survivor. And I, 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 I asked of that. I still watch Survivor and I get it. I get that we, you know, this is where Survivor has evolved to and we have to, you know, spend the time talking about vote splitting. It's a very sound strategy. But at the same time, the reason why these episodes don't seem so full is because we have to dedicate minutes to this stuff now. Whereas back in the day, you didn't. And you're right. Yeah, you know, they you would see them talking, but then you'd hear the person talking and then you could be showing something else. So you can have a lot of different things going on, uh, some development, but also getting the 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 knowledge as well. Yeah, one of the things that as a writer, I do a lot of writing, I talk to a lot of writers, and obviously one credo that anybody's ever heard if they've taken a writing class or any kind of critical writing is show, don't tell. Show the the action happening, don't just describe it. What's interesting is in the in the early days of Survivor, it was backwards. They would tell, not show. And again, maybe they were forced to do that by their time constraints, but it kind of, to me, it's always been more effective. You don't need to see every little nuance of how a strategy talk went. All you need to really see is how it turned out in the vote, and someone can summarize how they got to that point. So again, it's kind of backwards writing in a way that they're telling, not showing in these early seasons. And that's always that. And finally, I've placed my finger on why these older episodes seem like there's, they're longer, like they have more content. It's because so much less is dedicated to the, little, the, the nuances of strategy. But in Amazon, in, in, in defense of it, in Amazon, not so much now, but you were talking about the scene with Rob and Alex and stuff like that. And, and the Rob and Matt scenes are going to play out almost exactly like you're describing them now. But we are going to get more scenes later on with Rob and Alex and Rob and Dina and some things like that where we're going to get some serious strategy talk coming down this season. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. You can't shortchange Amazon on a strategy level coming in it had some really neat stuff going on you know and without spending too much time on it now i mean we can we can espouse you know some downfalls and just the integrity of the game of survivor uh going on with you know returning this and and, and immunity idols that but i mean it's only natural for a game to evolve to get a little bit more complicated you know at the beginning it was just kind of like holy hell how do we figure out this game oh my god i have to you know cook rice i have to you know build a shelter and then oh god i have to vote people out oh let's get a voting block like it's gonna evolve it's going to get more complicated because people have more knowledge going into it unless you're ryan aiken but you know <laughs> we've got to you know the game's going to evolve but you know there's there's things to lead to the downfall but this is a season this is a big evolutionary step survivor amazon so the stuff that we're setting up now we're setting up matt we're setting up rob and alex this is going to be super important down the road and it's going to be it, it stuff's going to pay off there's good payoffs here and as we we're going to lead right into the scene that Jay was talking about now, and this is I wanted to make sure we were caught up when we got to the scene, because this is a big deal. This end of episode three that 
you know, everyone talks about episode one as being the amazing episode in Amazon where the men get their comeuppance at the hands of the women. But if you watch the episodes, three, I think, is the best done of all the episodes because three does the exact same thing that one does, but it does it in an even funnier fashion. And Jay will, of course, lead us right into that because this is where the women decide they're going to kick the men's asses in the next challenge. And everything's going well for the women here. Everything's going well. Dina's Dina's got them on, on a tight you know, ship shape around camp and you see them working. They're doing things like chopping logs, uh, sweeping their area. Dina has a good confessional about it in a few minutes, just about, you know, all the things they've done. It looks like a place that, you know, people live and they care about where they live, but there's this music thing where they're, you see them like sharpening, cutting, sweeping, and they're doing all these things. And it's kind of like set to this music. It's almost, it's very stomp. Like if you're in that, you know, (laughs) performance, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like they're making the, the music with their, with with all of the instruments that they're doing, they're intercutting it. It's it's a very very lovely scene, and why I mean lovely, meaning that uh, they put a lot of love into it. Like somebody literally just took the time to take a montage of the women working well and setting it to a little bit of beat and music. It's really cool. Yeah, and it's funny. You and I came to the exact same notes. I mean, I wrote down it's like watching Stomp. That's exactly what that scene is like. It's right at the right towards the end of episode three before the immunity challenge. It's just the women doing chores around camp, and there's no dialogue. It's just chop, sweep, chop, sweep, bash, chop. I mean, it's really rhythmic, and it's really a cool scene. One of my favorite scenes of the season. And of course, it's the women getting ready to take down the men in the immunity challenge. All it needed was a little uh, rapping from uh, Gabriel Cade, and it would have been... <laughs> that thing could have been a single on the radio. <laughs> I don't recall Gabriel. What season was he on? <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so uh, yeah, the the women are getting ready for the challenge, uh, and there's this great scene of them marching to the challenge with this military beat. It's like, doom, 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 and the women just look pissed. They're going to go take down the men. And what's funny is they're alternating between the women marching to the challenge and the men sitting around doing eight ball predictions who they're going to hook up with tonight. It's a fun little dichotomy. It just bounces back and forth. Women ready, men not. Women ready, men not. And like I said, it's, I think it's even more effective than episode one. I think three is the one that's really well done from an editing perspective. All right. Which challenge was this? Was this the uh, lock free yourself? Lock them up in a cage. Lock them up in a cage. Yeah, yes. the one, yeah, the cage. Hooray. We've seen it before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't have much to say about it. I really don't. Women win, though. They they uh, they kick some butt. Yeah, the women just absolutely destroy the men and they get out of the cage first. And this is the one where Rob has put the blue feathers on the idol. And like right. and then Jeff's like, oh, look at that. A very uh, pompous display. I forget the word he uses, but very pompous display. And Dina's like, we'd like to remind them that we had the idol first. And I think it's Joanna that says, yeah, we'll be taking those out later. Or Jean says, yeah, we'll be taking those feathers out later. <laughs> Joanna's not talking about anything. Sorry, I'm sorry, Paul. I said something nice about Jean. <laughs> Keep going. All right. <laughs> yeah, so the women win. They, I mean, they absolutely kick the men's ass on that one. And it's funny because it's like the brute strength of chopping through the rope with a machete. That's where the women win it. They out-brute strength the men. Oh. And that's it. And we send the guys to tribal council for the second time. Yeah, and they all pick on Dan. They all pick on the poor malaria kid. Because he's different. It would have been funny to have Dan and Christy on the same tribe to see who would be isolated first. Like, (laughs) which one would feel like the other tribe wasn't talking to them first? You know, I I almost expected Roger, though, because, you know, Dan does have his little speech to Tribal Council about how, you know, I, I am different. You know, it's a problem. And Rob comes in and says, no, it's not. We're all from different places. 
you know, nothing is there. It's all unique. We're all great. And I almost expected Roger to be like, yeah, I mean, the Asian just doesn't do nothing. <laughs> yes. He's too busy watching his chop sake flicks. <laughs> uh, but Dan's out and everybody votes Dan out. So it's a, it's a pretty clean break. And Rob he was shot. And he, gets, and he gets treated for malaria. And if, again, if you pay attention, Rob, right in the middle is the swing boat. He could have gone either way. Could have gone Dan. Could have gone Roger. All oh, right. Roger. So we are done with episode three. I think we can dig it through four. All right. Let's do four. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the fall of Joanna. Obviously, clearly one of the most beloved players in Survivor history. Oh, glory. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know Mario, I ta- say. Mario talks a lot, a, a lot about things done well in episode three. And I'll argue that episode four was really well done. I, I was thinking about uh, it sums up a lot of Survivor in this episode. We're going to get into two challenges here that... Um, although maybe they're not, they're not the greatest challenges of all time, for someone who's not familiar with Survivor, to show them this episode would make sense to them. We have two challenges that really utilize, well, the second challenge, especially with the, with the fishing, really utilizes the location, and they're actually you know, you know, challenging the contestants on some kind of survival skill. We have politicking that's going to go on this episode uh, within the women's tribe as far as the alliances, and we're going to kind of see that alliance start to fall apart by the end of the episode as a, as a, the the notion of keeping someone in the game who wants out um, ends up coming. So th- this episode has all kinds of good stuff going on. Yeah, I remember when the Shauna episode came up with, I mean, this isn't she doesn't get booted out at this episode, but the Shauna is trapped episode. That was kind of a first in Survivor history because no one had ever quit the game before and I, I wasn't sure you were even allowed to quit the game back then. I mean, she even talks about, they have to vote me out. Like, it was an interesting little scenario in Survivor that had never happened before, where a person was being held there against their will. It was really an odd little situation. It was. Well, and, and a lot of tension comes up, you know, kind of where the episode kind of starts uh, starts off that's, you know, of anything importance is we really see the divide between the younger girls and the older girls. And there's this scene where, you know, they're talking to Joanna and, and Heidi has this monologue going on here about, yeah, you know, it, you're always taught in life that the harder worker gets ahead. Um, and so that's kind of what Jean and Joanna are doing now. But you have to think what gets you ahead in the game of Survivor, not what gets you ahead in life. And it kind of opens up this thing because as much crap as we give Heidi, I mean, Heidi makes a good point here about how, yeah. you know, you, you can't always play the game, you know, trying to, to be a, this great person because, you know, she's like she said, I, I, might, I might take my time here, take a little nap, and I'm going to, you know, bond with some people here, and I'm going to be getting ahead of you uh, in the game of Survivor. But it's a really interesting split going on here. I especially love the scene with Joanna where she rattles off this, like, <laughs> saying here about, you know, like, uh, 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 beauty will this fade will with time. And say, my, yeah. my, my mom has told me this too will pass. Like, anything in life, uh, you know, worth having worth working hard for and stuff and then talks about how like i beauty is vain no something beauty will fade beauty will fade um so only your virtue and your character that's it, it was a kind of a cute little rhyming thing she says and then it kind of shot of like heidi like huh and then like yeah, i don't know what the hell she was talking about yeah i cut your interview i don't know what that had to do with anything except that we were cute girls <laughs> no i don't think that's what she was going for heidi but okay <laughs> She knew instantly yeah, when she said that quote. She was calling Heidi cute. 
All I got to say, now, you're right. Heidi makes a very good point there, and she gets a lot of flack, but she's absolutely right. And it ties in with a confessional earlier in the season where Rob says the same thing about Dave, where Dave is going to be very honest. Dave is very straightforward. And that's great for me because I don't plan on being any of that. So if it's, they're setting this up that you can't be super honest and do well, and what succeeds in life isn't going to succeed in Survivor. So Rob and Heidi have kind of made the same point, just from different angles. And also Heidi tells us that bigger girls can put out more energy. Oh, God. <laughs> I will tell you, my wife was pregnant when she when that confessional came out. Oh, my God. I've never heard my wife spew so much venom at anybody on TV than she did. At Heidi saying that older, fatter women have more have more energy and can do more work. <laughs> like, it's, oh, it, my God. The way they cut the interview is just awesome, too, because she's like kind of like, OK, listen to this. Like there's these other like there's there's some girl in the tribe, the bigger girls that have more fat to live on. OK. And they like, cut it off right after she says, OK. Like they just have this like just like really capture this kind of bitchy like little like, OK, here, let's, listen to this. Yeah. And every time from this point on, when Heidi talks about her alliance, she won't say the younger girls. She has to include the word cuter. Yes. So we're not just the younger girls. Now we're the younger, cuter girls. Yes. Cuter. Heidi's... We have better bodies. And for What's some great reason, now that's is like this... a huge issue with older people. What's great now is my wife pointed this out. If Heidi went on Survivor now, she would be one of the older, fatter girls because she's had kids and stuff and she's not in her 20s anymore. So yes. my wife says, oh, they got to bring her back just for the dichotomy. Yeah, she might. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, Heidi goes far, but I mean, she might do better. I mean, I, I think that, you know, as we pointed out, Heidi does say some smart things, but then Heidi says some other things, which are just said, kind of, you know. Yeah, she says things you wouldn't say on national TV. I mean, yeah. you might think that. Don't say that. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, what can help what, what can help everyone out? What can what can, you know, keep the fat on your body is a fridge of Coke. <laughs> yes, and this is what I love about it is this is the moment that really that really shatters Shauna. She's perfectly fine. She'll be okay in the game, and then they don't win Coke, and that's it. Her life is over. Well, Shauna, you were never going to win that Coke because the instant there was a fire building challenge, this has Butch Boner written all over it, Shauna. You're <laughs> right. doomed. Well, it took it took everything that Shauna had to at the end of the challenge not to just sit down on the beach and say, "I need to take a three hour break." <laughs> she took everything in her not to do that oh it's so bad it's such a weird reward it's like here, here's this ice box and it's got like a 30 cans of coke in it or whatever well, give what some I always reading of, material yeah what i think of when i think of that challenge i always think of the refrigerator cam there's that great scene where they open the fridge and you can actually see it. there's a camera in the back of the fridge so you see Dan in there and Roger counting all the cans. I just remember the refrigerator cam, which I always thought was cool. They got that cam from Snake Island from Borneo and got it back in the fridge. Yes. So uh, I think we skipped a couple things here. We skipped uh, this is where Dina officially decides to align with the younger girls. Yes. Huge. Big, Shauna. Big scene. Yeah, people kind of forget that that was actually Shauna that brought her in. Shauna was the one who's with Heidi and Jenna. Shauna is close with Dina, so she brings her in, and they're like, we'll just stick together. And I remember at the time, like I said, there was no precedent to this before on Survivor. You tended to vote with people who were like you. That was your alliance. You'd kind of find people who thought similarly or, or were similar to you in real life. And Dina teaming up with the three younger girls just didn't make sense at all sociologically. So I remember at the time thinking, this is some neat stuff going on here. And that was not something I predicted would happen. I thought I thought that uh, the older women were going to team up with Christy and vote out the younger ones who were picking on Christy because that's 
kind of the storyline that you've been presented up to this point, but that's not where we're going at all. So it's kind of a little uh, flip-flop here on what the editing was telling you was going to happen. But it was the strategy was sound. I mean, Dana's like, I think I can manipulate these three young girls better than I could the other ones. She's but, right, and she's absolutely right. Yeah, and just you couldn't see that coming. It just shows the players were getting smarter. Dina was thinking a little fourth dimensionally here. This was not a typical survivor strategy. She's thinking, who can I outwit later down the road as opposed to who can get me further now? And what was great, because Heidi knew the minute that Dina aligned them that they had a four-person alliance instantly. She knew instantly, yeah. <laughs> instantly. <laughs> All right, what's, what's in my notes here? Uh, yeah, so Dina teamed up with the girls. And also Matt. This is where Matt is still getting this this heroic comeback winner's edit where he knows he's next on the tribe. He knows he's doomed, so he's going to have to find some way to get to show his value to the tribe. So he goes out and he catches that giant rainbow bass. Yes. Well, yeah. then, that, if, yeah, then that, that's the scene where he ate the eyeballs. It yeah. was this one, yeah. But again, Matt is getting this great heroic comeback. I'm the I'm the good guy. I know I'm a I'm a lone sheep among a bunch of wolves. I have to work hard and prove myself. So again, he's getting this really soft, positive winners at it, and it just absolutely infuriated the audience when he when he lost the jury vote at the end. All right, so we lose here. Uh yeah, I think this is the point where Shauna wants to quit. Shauna didn't get the Coke and she's done. She wants out of the game. And it was sucking energy out of her left toe, right? Her left <laughs> <laughs> her left toe. Opposed Which is to good her right when she toe. Meets, yeah, when she meets the guys, they infuse energy directly into her left toe, so it's perfect yes. later on. Yeah, she she was at a low point, and 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 Paul is exactly right. I mean, this this brought up a whole can of worms for all of us in the audience, and you know, Dina is really the one talking it through because Dina's now committed herself to being with the uh, with the three young girls, and now Shauna's like, "Vote me out. I don't yeah. want to be here anymore. I want to quit." And they're like, you can't quit. We need you for numbers, you know? And it's almost like Shauna is the perfect person you want to drag along because she totally doesn't want to be there. So everyone thinks she's a total drag. They're not going to vote her a million dollars. So it's like, well, Shauna, by being such a stick in the mud, you've become instantly valuable. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's two little funny scenes in this episode I wanted to point out. I like pointing out little character scenes. There's the the scene where Dave is out with the guys on the boat and he tells the he, – he, recites his poetry do you remember that prior to coach there was a survivor who recited poetry prior to coach um and this is dave yeah dave's little uh was a limerick he's like there once were three guys in a boat left early with spirits afloat looking for bass sat, sat on, on their, their ass, ass. Jokes, luck as good luck as, as, good as jokes. jokes yeah <laughs> yeah so i gotta point that out you that wrote that dad you didn't have that memorized of course i wrote that down i'm not coach i can't memorize this stuff oh, okay and then the scene where uh, the men all sit around and they sing karaoke and Rob sings, you've lost that love and feeling. And there's this great scene where he cuts to the rest of the tribe and nobody else knows the lyrics. So they just murmur. And, like, then, uh, and uh, Roger uh, calls him pathetic. Yeah. And Roger says, this Rob, he really is pathetic. He's like, he's the most enthusiastic kid I know. But like to be 24 year old singing karaoke in your basement. And those are our little fun character scenes from this episode. And now we are up to. The challenge that you guys were talking about, the famous piranha catching challenge. That's a great challenge. <laughs> and what's funny, I got to say this, only Survivor, I mean, you, we, you know, people talk crap about the Survivor editors. We like praising them, especially in the early days, because they were doing some fun stuff. But how amazing an editor can you be to make an hour of fishing seem exciting? Somehow they pull it off. Somehow they make this look exciting. Well, it's fantastic. They get to fish, and they get to fish for piranha. Like, that's so appropriate to the location 
and what's going on. And again, throwing on the bone, unlike poor Thailand, where they had to sort a billion bits of fish and then, you know, wave goodbye to it. I mean, the winner of this challenge got to keep all the fish and eat it. I mean, that's really cool. Yep, absolutely. So you get motivation yeah, what, to win for immunity and to get food. Oh, what's funny in this one is right at the start of the challenge, uh, Jeff asked the guys, hey, do you think the girls could be winning the challenge? And it's funny to watch the dichotomy of where they were in episode one. Every single guy is like, hey, they could be winning. You never know. There's always a chance, Jeff. It's like the guys have totally matured by now. Just takes losing a couple times to exactly. uh, to get that going. Yeah, and, you know, they're catching. And I liked the uh, little bit there with, uh, with Dave, uh, you know, him and Roger being the ultimate machine where, you know, it's it's that whole war strategy of the people behind the line reloading the guns like Dave is baiting and and uh, taking care of the caught fish. And Roger's just got the pole in the water like, hey, awesome. Yes. And then what do we got here? The men win the challenge. Uh, and I think this is where we lose Joanna, right? Episode four. Yeah. Is that a sad day for you, Paul, when you lost Joanna? Um. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I I see. I act like I'm really annoyed with Joanna and Jean, which I do get annoyed with both of them. But I think Joanna in particular was was a fantastic choice to to have on the show because she brought a whole new angle to it. Don't think Jean brought anything to the show, and we'll uh, I can uh, can uh, diss on her a little bit more next episode. But I mean, this was a really big big deal for the show, and you see how pissed Jean is when it goes down because uh, I mean, this is kind of a like I said, we're, we're kind of still in like you said a renaissance you know era of survivor where this kind of thing you just really didn't do i mean sure we had it with hunter but i mean this is like a similar type situation they don't have these men around they need these bigger girls uh to to, <laughs> Heidi, to you know for all the brute force and stuff and, and joanna was i mean a lot of ways they're the tribe was still not all together not functioning you have shauna who's pulling everyone down and strategically the other women decide to vote off joanna yeah, I mean, it just again, just a interesting scenario as we would see later with Austin, as we'd see later with Colby and Era uh, with uh, James and Hero versus Villains, where you want to cut the bait of of people who are dragging you down, but you can't because you need the numbers. So Sean was really the first person that was trapped. And again, I don't know if she had the option to quit, even if she wanted to. Like Austin, of course, the next season would be the first quitter, but I'm not sure they would have let Shauna quit. I'm not entirely sure at that point in history what the rules were. So it's really a unique little scenario that. And, and I mean, it we'll, comes up. Go ahead. Yeah, well, we'll get there. But even Austin's quit. I mean, there still was an impromptu voting. It's not like, you know, he just stood up and said, I'm I'm out. Uh, I mean, that's event, essentially what it came up to. But I mean, you know, they were setting this up with Shauna. Shauna's like earlier in the day or the, the previous day, she was like, vote me out. I'm done. And, you Absolutely. know, e- even though she kind of changed her tune a little bit or was like, I don't know. And it was this whole thing like. You know, when you see Joanna and stuff go up and vote for Shauna, you know, they're like, well, I'm just doing what you asked, you know. Uh-huh. And so it's it's that first little bit where like, yeah, the, there's not a protocol for quitting. And even these first quittings and our first official, you know, quote unquote, quit next season in Pearl Islands with Austin, there's still a vote out process. Yep, absolutely. You know, even though, yeah, I don't I don't think they did go up and vote Austin. I mean, they ultimately just said we're all voting to Austin anyway. And then probes, you know, made an example. But like it's that whole thing of like, oh, you want to quit? Well, we'll, you know, just tell us all to vote for you and we'll vote you out at tribal council. There's no like, let's just call probes in and call it now. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And then we lose Joanna, who I mean, it was a weird vote. You don't lose the strength that early. But I mean, it worked. Obviously, it worked out for him in the end because we had the twist next episode. So. In retrospect, you have to say it was the right move. I don't know. It was a weird move at the time to get rid of, like you said, 
the brute strength, because we all know the brute strength of Gene and Joanna and Dina. We were routinely watching them pound down trees with their fists and slam through walls. They had that brute strength. <laughs> so we lose Joanna. We lose a, 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 a someone who never had any fans anywhere in their Survivor world. I've never seen anybody say a good thing about Joanna. But I got to say, when I was watching it on this latest uh, rewatch, I loved her hallelujah, oh glory. It's just funny how many times it pops up. And fittingly, it is the last word she says in her final words, too. It's what she signs off with. And it's absolutely a perfect capper to a, a quirky little character who you might not have think added much. But she had actually some pretty good scenes in this season. They even, you know, took her hallelujah and put it at the end of, like, music, you know, cut-ins and stuff like that. Like, they had some oh, yeah. fun with that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's just a quirky little catchphrase. And as it, bad as she is when you watch it, you just have to think, this too will pass. And for as decent a voice as Helen may have in the previous season, Joanna's voice is terrible. Uh, the the sentiment is all there gotta love it love the spirit and love all that stuff but uh oh boy so we are officially four episodes into survivor amazon and what's interesting is there's a ton of stuff coming up we really haven't even scratched the surface on where this season's gonna go there's some big moments episodes one and three in particular i thought were fantastic four has some neat stuff with shauna being trapped we're about to hit the twist. This, this season's about to kick in overdrive because all the flirting and the topless girls and Rob Sesternino and Dina are about to go into overdrive here. And I got to say, again, we still have not seen a pink dolphin, and it's just pissing me off. That's just too damn bad, buddy. I got to say. <laughs> but but maybe 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 it's your attitude, Mario. Maybe maybe if you just believe in yourself, you know, it, it can happen for you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess we should end this by. Uh, Resolving the age-old question. Who was the hottest, Heidi, Jenna, or Shauna? Jenna by far. Jenna by far? Jay? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I don't know. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I'm not dead. I mean, it's. I, I. I never really look. I mean, they're out there on the island. I, you know, and and I'm very aware that people on camera look sometimes very different than how they look in real life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like I have a. I have a feeling that if I were out there on the island, I would have probably picked Shauna to tell you the truth. You know, in my opinion, they all had unique qualities. Some more unique than others. <laughs> I'd say that too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, that's what you were going to say first. You just kind of glossed over that part. But I, I have to agree with uh, Rob, and I know this will, will will break many people's hearts that I would say I would pick the most shallow of the girls. But Heidi, Rob was absolutely spot on with Heidi. Yeah. At least at the point when she was still a nine and a half. I'm not sure later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I guess the thing my wife is my wife has blonde hair. So, you know, I, I, I guess, uh, you know. There's that. So so maybe I would have picked Heidi, too. I don't know. I honestly don't know is the fun thing. Usually for me, it's it's a lot a lot of uh, what I look for, you know, usually in, in, you know, some sort of like female crush is usually deals with some way they're interacting with me personally. So if I were on the game of Survivor, it would probably be whoever, whichever of those three was the nicest to me. Even if that was Christy, I said of the three. <laughs> We better sign off before we get in trouble. With who? I don't know. We have like six or seven listeners. I'm sure someone will send us an email. <laughs> send you guys an email, maybe. I'm good. All right. Well, uh, I, I want to thank you guys for putting together another epic fail of a podcast. That was a lot of fun. Four episodes is pretty good for our part one of any season. 
Yes, indeed. We'll have a lot of fun in store for the the remaining episodes. So stay yeah, tuned. And I feel like, and I feel like with the part one, like you know, with Thailand especially, I feel like that was so front loaded. Like you know, the first you know few episodes are like just supremely epic. Even Australia, you know, the 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 first half of the season is good. Amazon is, I mean, it's good all the way through. But I mean, as you said, we're not even we're we're not even there yet. So this is really just it's not filler, but it's like we we're now we're establishing our characters, we're establishing our roles. We're gonna get into some real fun stuff in the next couple of podcasts. Yeah, you think we haven't even met Crazy Matt yet. There's not even a hint that Matt's crazy yet. And that's my favorite subplot of the season. So we will have plenty to talk about in part two. We hope you guys enjoyed part one. Uh, We will try to get these out on a more regular basis. I know we're not particularly good at getting out more than three or four a year. We'll try to be (laughs) topping that schedule here in the future. Uh, But I think that's really uh, about it. Do you have anything more to say before we sign off? Nope. Nope. We're good. All right, they're not the best color man in the league for nothing. Ooh, major league joke. That's like right, it. thank you. All right, uh, so signing off, this is uh, Mario Lanza. Uh, this is Paul Ossos, and all the women out there do not feel pressured to get a haircut. Do not fall, fall into the traps of society that says you need a new hairdo when you turn 40. And this is Jay Fisher. Believe in yourself, people. You know what I hate? That Jay will always take the sign off that I was going to use. Damn you. Jay is so freaking smart. (laughs) All right. So I just want to say thanks for tuning into part one. And uh, we will talk to you again in a couple weeks for part two of Amazon. Thanks for listening and talk to you guys later. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. So awesome. The cuter girls, me and Jen and Shauna, kind of went off from the older women because we're younger and we're cuter. We've got better bodies, and for some reason, that's like a huge issue with older people. Since we are masters of beauty. (laughs) We're all very confident with our bodies. We're all free having fun. We don't have these older women judging us, telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing. The work ethic in our camp is definitely creating friction. You've got bigger women that have more fat to live on that obviously can put out more effort as far as manual work. And then you've got the the smaller girls that are like the stay-at-home women, okay? We were just all sitting over here chatting on ways we deal with not with being here as opposed to being in our comfort zone. My mother always tell me this too shall pass. Yeah. This not the first hard thing I had to do. There's always sweet rewards, and, and anything worth having is worth working hard for. You can't just expect stuff to come drop in your lap. I mean, beauty is deceitful. And favor is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord shall be praised. Because people may give you favor or pretend they're your friends or whatever for their own purpose and their own gain. And beauty will fade with time, but only your virtue and your character is what's going to last. I'm really not sure how that quote fit in with anything, except maybe she was just trying to pick on the fact that we were cute girls and were worrying about stuff that she's not worrying about. 